We are live with another episode of Growing With My Fellow Growers. This is Jack Greenstock, joined as always by an amazing panel. Uh, first, I'm going to pass it over to Spartan Grown. How's it going? What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, or uh, you can shoot me an email at spartangrown at gmail.com. I'm both an organic farmer at home or a synthetic farmer at work commercially here in Michigan. Welcome back. Always happy to have you. And next up, Aaron the Grower. Get mid scissor. Sorry. What's up, guys? Uh, uh, I am Aaron the Grower. That's ATG Acres on Instagram, YouTube, and ATGAcres.com on the internet. So check me out there. Get yourself a plant packer. And there go my dogs. They think I'm somebody else. That's funny. All righty. Next up, we have Matthew Gates. Hey everyone, this is Matthew Gates. I'm an IPM specialist for those who don't know, and you can find me all kinds of places. You can even find Aaron actually on my YouTube channel, Zenthanol, because I started uploading our IGTV live streams that we did like months ago. Um, so actually almost a year that. ago in some cases. Yeah. And I'm putting, um, I'm going to be putting the like uh, annotations there so that people can scan through them really easily. Cause it's a little daunting to have like a whole hour, in some cases, two hours of a uh, video content um but yeah I'm, I'm excited for that and uh if you want to find other ipm stuff pest management information you can check me out on my patreon which allows you to get access to my discord channel i've had a lot more activity there lately um and i'm very excited to be talking with more people and um gathering uh in some cases interesting new observations in cannabis pests and then sharing that with everyone else so i'm excited for that Welcome back, and thanks again for joining us. Next up, Kyle. Hey, everybody. My name is Kyle Breeder. I am a, <clears throat> I'm a cannabis breeder that typically grows in organic soil. Um, I do have, uh, well, my specialty is feminized seeds. If you're looking for something like that or you guys uh, like to grow that, I do have a website. It's uh, the letter P followed by breeding.com. Uh, if you want to look at anything I'm doing, or if you need to chat with me, feel free. Uh, I like communicating with the community. You can find me at Predicative Breeding on all social media platforms. I have been locked out of Twitter. I'm not sure why. I think it's I changed my password. I don't remember it. But uh, so if you're trying to reach out to me there, that ain't going to happen now. But, uh, but yeah, I'm glad to be here and uh, excited to see what we're going to talk about tonight. Excited to get into it. We have no other grow to get to next, but I just wanted to say a friend of mine who's growing some of Kyle's gear got eight out of eight to germinate and all eight sprouted. Uh, they killed one, removing the little seed shell, um, but they got like four of them off cleanly. And so they have seven growing uh, out of eight and it's their first time. So I'm excited for them to grow out some of Kyle's fem work. Uh, but last and certainly not least, no other grower. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, yeah, I'm Noah the Grow from Instagram. You can find me there. Just like Kyle said, I, if you have any questions, reach out to me. I like to interact with the community. I, I try to do it all the time and answer all my direct messages. And uh, yeah, just happy to be here with everybody and uh, ready to get into it. You had a great um, comment before the show when I asked if anybody had a topic they'd like to talk about tonight. And you mentioned something about what people think of a one-part organic uh, nutrient or something simple and uh, I think we can maybe kick it off there. And Spartan, I think you were giving a little bit of your answer before I said, hey, we got to go live because it was four o'clock and didn't want to keep people waiting. And I didn't want to miss any of the good conversation in the pre-show that we could get on the live. So Spartan, uh, take it away. Yeah. So for me, I use my media as my one part kind of um, when I build my soil, all, all the nutrition's there. 
Now I build my, I'm using an M3 soil as a base, which is just a, a bag soil that's you can find here in Michigan. You might be able to find it all across the country. I'm not sure, but it's called, I call it M3, but I think it's called, what's the long name on it? Michigan, Michigan made mix. Oh, Michigan made mix is the, yeah. the family friendly name. And then they have the medical marijuana mix, which fun fact, they spelled it with an H because that's how Michigan spelled marijuana in the beginning with their legislation. It was still do. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's um, M3. If you go to uh, the medical marijuana mix site, they have a b- bunch of people growing cannabis. If you go to the um, Michigan made mix site, it's a bunch of people growing tomatoes and, and flowers <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff. So, but yes, that's basically yeah, we're sold out here in Massachusetts, man. That stuff, that stuff's hard to find now because it's so good. <laughs> but read the. Do uh, run into, I do. Uh, sometimes we'll run into deficiency, and I'll just, I'll just, um, if my plant is even beginning to look like it's struggling, I'm going to top dress it with some worm castings, um, sprinkles. What's some, some common deficiencies you see first, Spartan? For me, it's because I reuse my soil. So, I, I normally I wouldn't see deficiencies if I just used um, my soil, ran it one time, and dumped it. No, nah, I'm usually pretty good. There would be a few that it would be a little bit hungry because they can't. How should I say? You don't want to make your mix so hot for the hungry plants, so that the plants that aren't hungry get burned up. Right. So they generally will give you like a down the middle, and then uh, the hungry plants you're going to run out. So for like an all-in-one, like if it's a deficiency that's not just a single, like if I don't think it's like nitrogen deficiency or i don't think it's if i think it's a multiple like i'm reusing for example the best best example would be when i'm reusing the soil maybe i mended not enough so after harvest i didn't mend enough because i tend to err on i tend to caution on the side of less instead of more and so um on my re-amended mixes i'll start seeing deficiencies and the one you see i see most often is nitrogen it seems like nitrogen gets used up a lot i'm not using a cover crop that's going to replace nitrogen makes sense to me um i amend with if i'm if i have a nitrogen deficiency specifically worm castings will usually take care of that because worm castings are fairly high in nitrogen but um if i'm seeing a a bad deficiency i'll also come in i'll do worm castings but i'll also come in with alfalfa meal what are you amending for uh for calmag in that in in your in your mix that you're remaking or reusing so magnesium is usually not something that I run low on, um, but calcium is always amended and I use gypsum mostly, um, nice. but I have other, I have other, like, so, so gypsum is really good for calcium and I use that at my reamendment. Um, because of that, I don't like to address a calcium deficiency with gypsum too, because I don't want to keep dumping cal- uh, gypsum, 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 gypsum. So I have other sources of calcium also, uh, crab meal, I have, uh, which is just basically crushed up shells of crabs. And it smells like what you would imagine a crushed up shell. Like <laughs> gross as hell. <laughs> yeah. uh, and that's a lot, that was going to take a lot longer to break down too. So that's something that uh, I'll mix in every, like on a re-amendment, I might throw one in if I was struggling with calcium that run um, to, so that I know that soil has a slow release calcium kind of is the way I look at it. Um, and then another one is oyster shell. And you can get the oyster shell crushed into like almost a powder form. So for, for me, that makes me think that's going to break down a little bit quicker. And so that would be the one I would kind of reach for if I was like in mid-cycle with a calcium deficiency uh, and I wanted it to be available more quickly. I'll just, you know, come in with that and top dress with that. I've always been told that oyster shell takes a long time to 
uh, become available. But to be honest, off the top of my head, I don't even know if that's how, how true that statement is and how well, in the context looking, where it isn't. I'm, I'm looking at the, okay, how should I explain it? In my, I like seven days, I, it's, right? hard for me, it's hard for me to explain my the way my mind, okay. Surface area. It's all about surface area. Dep- that besides, makes sense, though. Besides, well, already the, I can kind of see where you're going with that. I think. Yeah, be, but, yeah, yeah, exactly. So besides whatever material it's made out of, it's probably pretty similar because it's both a calcium source. But one is flakes of shell um, that I can physically see, and the other one's ground into dust. So that ground into dust one between the two, me not, I, and I admit I don't know. I haven't looked at the science on which actually breaks down faster in the soil, but. Uh, just surface area alone, I had got to believe that that powder is going to do it. And this has a certain sort of logic to it, right? That makes sense. It typically is that way in soil because it's easier for the microbes to break down. If it's already powdered, um, right. it doesn't have to break down like the exoskeleton of that thing. It can just start to take whatever nutrient is available, uh, ideally. And I think that's in the case because I don't find any of that t- stuff in one run. So, I mean, however long it takes to veg and flower a plant, you're not seeing a bunch of it still in the soil. And just for the um, people in the chat who might not be as familiar with the Michigan Made Mix, I have the ingredients list. I actually use the soil as my base and uh, followed Spartan Grown's reamendment recipes to a lot of success with very rarely do I have like major deficiencies. It's always something that a little worm castings or uh, tea or top dress can fix within a couple days to a week at the worst. Like I've never actually seen it take two weeks. Like if you're proactive uh, and you check your plants daily, I think you can almost always fix it within a week or less. But um, the recipe is composted sphagnum, uh, Canadian peat, vermiculite, fossilized seabird guanos, bone meal, rock phosphate, green sand, perlite, blood meal, and lime. And um, I think I could be wrong on this, but I think Coot in the past has said that some of these like shells are ultimately just lime at the end of the day. Like, does that break down into like lime or limestone or something else? So uh, calcium carbonate, I think. is Calcium the carbonate. There we go. And um, those have an impact on the soil that um, adjusts the pH. Um, so does the one thing that I mentioned in the mix, uh, lime, has uh, adjusts to the pH. Because when you're working with peat, it can be a little bit acidic, from what I'm told. So when you're making a mix, it has to kind of take that into consideration. And I think people try to come out around like 6.5. Um, but there's a whole bunch of different mixes out there. Brandon Rust uses a different recipe. Uh, the American one is joining us right now, so we'll have him here in just a few seconds. But uh, yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, there's things that I wouldn't like if I were building my own soil. There's things in that mix that I wouldn't do. Um, the biggest complaint for me probably would be I would want to do a perlite and pumice substitution, uh, and then I would try to avoid some of the guanos. Everything else in there, I think I'm pretty okay with. Um, but it's a really good mix. I'm, I'm actually testing fourth cycle right now on one of my plants and I grow some pretty big plants. Um, but it's getting to be where, where it's like, I think that I'm either going to have to start soil testing or I can't keep winging it. Like I am with just doing a, a broad spectrum reamend at the end because something's getting out of balance. I'm sensing, I don't know. I don't know if I want to try a fifth without doing some kind of at least a soil test or something. So I haven't decided, I'm, I, I might do resets here after the fourth, but hell, getting four cycles out of one bag of soil, I'm happy as hell about that. You look at like green life productions and granted they're a no-till, they're on like their 
20, 30, or 40th uh, thing, and they might be doing soil testing uh, to get their amendments perfect, but I'm right about where you're at right now. Uh, third run coming up to my fourth with uh, M3 that I've reamended using a lot of uh, the stuff that you suggested, as well as some of Brandon's products from Bokashi Earthworks. And to be honest, um, I, I'm not too worried about it in getting like super thrown off, but it's totally possible. I could be uh, setting myself up for failure without doing the testing because it definitely offers you a lot. Maybe it's worth just uh, sending in a batch that we're going to reamend before and then trying to target a little bit more specifically. Yeah, uh, it's hard to, for me, I don't, I don't feel that it's worth it for me to soil test when I have four, when I'm, how, how do I want to explain it? Okay. I don't think it's worth it for me to soil test pots of soil. If I had a whole bed that covered at least, you know, at least a light's worth, that's worth it for me to soil test and put in the effort to balance my soil and make it perfect every time. But when I'm in a pot and I can pay for a soil test and, and fuck around with that and it's going to cost me, you know, four times the everything, when I could just get a fucking bag of soil and just reset that and run it four more times, I'm already telling you which way I'm going. <laughs> hey, have you guys heard about that uh, that one part, uh, like, top dress? You guys seen that? When you guys, I think when you guys posted that in a chat, didn't you? I, I sent it to the chat. It was like a slow release. Um, yeah. What do you guys think of that? What, you, what is that worth trying or what? I didn't. I didn't see what what, you, what what was it again? Was it a nutrient or was so it? So a while ago, I sent a, a picture of a guy. He was like holding. I think it's like Osmocote or something, where they have these slow release nutrients. Um, All the little pebbles or balls that he had yeah. in his hand. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. I, I just asked if you guys had any thoughts on it, and then so um, maybe that was part of the reason. No, I had the curiosity, and I want to also give uh, the American one a chance because he's been here for a while, and I forgot to let him introduce himself. So welcome, the American one. Hey, how's everybody doing? Um, yeah, I'm the American one. And um, yeah, I think that was the um, the post with Scotty Real introducing his auto flower one-time nutrients, right? Yeah. And it just looks yeah, kind of like, it looks kind of like, uh, yeah, uh, like there you were saying, pulse. that asthma coat. I didn't, so. um, I've asked around, but it sounds, that's like some kind of a synthetic thing still. It's not. It wasn't organic to my mind. What, or is it? Am I wrong? He says the secret's out. Mondo one and done. All in one. Single application. Programmed release fertilizer for all your flowering plants. And it was a Scotty Real post from Dude Grows. Uh, it's not going to show up because I got green screen. Yeah, I didn't hear organic in any of that. No, it's not. To my yeah, knowledge. No, I, I don't think that they pay for the label even with um, Recharge, right? That doesn't have an Omri um, listing to my knowledge or they're not paying for the organic uh, I don't know if it's uh, got any. Well, I'm, I don't think it does. Does it? Ha well, yeah, he didn't have anything. He didn't have the new uh, ingredient list or NPK or anything on there, did he? It was just a very, very early um, pre-release, even I think, like advertisement. So I, I was gonna pull it up and screen share it, but it's probably a little too early into even. Like, I don't think there's an MSDS available for this. I don't know if they're selling it. Uh, let me see. The secret's out. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, I don't think that they're actually um, moving this product yet. I think they're sort of just getting it out there. We're giving them some free advertisement for something that we haven't used, but it's it's an interesting thing to consider when 
Um, you could go the route of mixing your own soil or using something like that. Or like Brandon has a different recipe. If you watch his YouTube, Bokashi Earthworks, um, someone I know who just started growing, it, they went, got every single thing on that list. I like sent them where they could get certain stuff online and where they could get certain stuff locally to get it all for the best price. And they mixed their own soil. Um, they've never grown anything before. And they were able to mix their own soil watching his video, just like he did and sprout seedlings in it. And like I said, uh, probably, I don't know if it was, yeah, it was during the introduction. Um, they got seven out of seven or seven out of eight growing right now because they accidentally killed one. But yeah, it's um, proven to work as so far. And uh, Brandon has had a lot of success with his different soil mixes. I've seen people growing with some of his older recipes and had success with those as well. So there's a lot of different options. I used to grow a subcool super soil. And I know a lot of people hate on that. But if you did the layer technique, like the lasagna, where you had like a kind of less hot mix up top and then the hotter mix down low, it was really successful for a lot of people. And uh, I think that inspired <laughs> Mendo Dope and others. Yeah, Sorry, go ahead. So I was just saying it still is, man. There's, I still know plenty of people that grow that same way and they do fine with it. Hey, once yeah. you learn your way, just fucking do your thing. I'm fine. I don't care how people grow. You know what I mean? If they're growing the dank, I'm cool with it. As long as they're not, you know, poisoning people, you know? Yeah. And then you, and then you do something like me and completely switch everything up. And it just, I feel like a kid again. It's really it's so weird fun. because like, like, you know what I mean? I have like five go-to things and you know how it goes. Sometimes I'm only giving it two. Sometimes I'm giving it three, you know, in the middle, I'm giving it everything and I've had great results. And then I got gifted some soil and I just went all in and man, in veg you i never seen nothing like this i mean i had a side by side in ocean force and this bio 365 soil and i mean the, the, the like clones i took off the same plant same height same everything and it, it was just completely crushing it. it was probably six inches taller within like you know a month i mean crushed greenest i've ever i've seen it in so long i want to jump in and real I quick just because we have a question that relates so perfectly to this noah Chad Westport in the chat asks, Fox Farm Ocean Forest count as an all-in-one question mark. I ask for others because I think that they realize what the answer is to that. But I'm curious because I know, Noah, you use it and you have your own little additional recipe, but maybe you could just answer yes or no and then explain. Uh, yes, say it again. I'm, I didn't quite understand it. So is Fox Farm Ocean Forest an all-in-one soil? Like, can you use that as water only start to finish? No, absolutely not. I mean, you get, yeah, I mean, sure you can, but you're not going to get what you want i mean you're just yeah, not. There. That, that's the honest no answer. way um i have vegged with it I, I mean i've been growing with it for 11 years but i mean you can i have you can veg with it wait i'm I trying to think maybe back in the day too. like it's been so long i'm so old maybe i was doing like uh black gold in the beginning yeah i did black gold and i switched doja force but Man, i think they sell it at home depot now yeah yeah they do make sure you get the one with the pink bag though it's got time release stuff in it but mess <laughs> your stuff but uh yeah no uh I, it's just, so that's where I'm going down it because I have a couple people that have been asking me about it. And then I just, with this soil, it's so awesome. And I, and I want to reuse it. I'm trying to do exactly that. I, I've never done that before. I want to do it because the soil is really awesome. But as soon as I hit it to 12-12, I instantly, within like a, like a week, it just started yellowing up. I could tell that it needed phosphorus, it needed nitrogen. So I'm like, okay, hmm, what am I going to give this that's a one-part organic ball because i'm also going on vacation like three or four times and i got someone that's going to be watching my garden and i can't tell them hey you got to do this you got to do that i just kind of wanted to give it a one part and when you start looking into it and you're looking for the omri listed like organic stuff that you want to give to like living soil it hasn't been that easy um so down to earth bio life yeah yeah so so bio bio life is the one i had looked at but i i just was just looking at bio biz i'm going to be looking into that a little bit more but i uh 
the one that I got that the guy told me, he was like, yeah, they kind of rip people off, but uh, I, I don't know anything. I'm not, you know, political. I don't know anything about it, but was it uh, advanced nutrients, uh, liquid or uh, liquid uh, or organic or and it, it's, it's pretty good. It's pretty decent this is so my, far. This is my hands down what I'm using right now and, and continue Well, I bought fucking 25 pounds of some ridiculous amount of it. So I'll be using it for probably years now, but hit up my boy fucking out there build a soil jeremy and support a fucking real dude and just get craft blend it's just like these other things um but it's just the raw ingredients mixed together for you ground up he just took for those who don't know when he made the craft blend people were buying this ingredient that ingredient that ingredient and they were buying uh five pounds of this 25 pounds of that and they'd get all this shit and then they'd only need a scoop of this or a cup of that. So what he did was put all of the most common used, reamended things into one mix called the craft blend. So each run when you're done, you can literally take a scoop of that and a scoop of gypsum, mix it into your soil, and you're pretty much there with a little worm casting. So you get yourself some microbes, oh. some nitrogen. That is like most of uh, Spartan's list That's just it. off the top That's of my it. head. <laughs> that is it right there. And Speak there's a little sprinkle of... Uh, I think you use uh, insect frass in the hole when you're transplanting in, as well as mycos. But I mean, other than well, that, literally taking the old soil, you, yeah. it, it, you just drop the old soil in and then start with a little extra. And it, you, I do like a lasagna on the top with some uh, uh, bokashi uh, worm castings and a little rice hull cap to close it up. But well, I love it. It's been killing it. I've been, I couldn't be happier. Um, it feels like not like bad because I wasn't throwing it out, but putting it out and like growing random shit like uh, succulents and stuff in my side yard that I knew I could have been just instead of buying more bags of it, I only, only ended up buying two before I started reamending. So I was having it shipped from Michigan, which is definitely not the most economical I knew, but I had heard so much talk about it. I just really wanted to um, almost like test somebody else's. They were saying they're getting this amount of grams per watt off this type of lighting with these types of genetics. So I was like, hey, if you're getting that, if I can get anywhere close to what you're claiming, I'd be happy. And uh, sure enough, they they were right in my opinion so i think that the, they pushed me down the right path and now i'm just reamending it instead of buying fresh bags each time and you can have a lot of success with the amendment with so many different ways of attacking it i mean coots mix um has been very successful for lots of people there's a uh, indra who grows with basically instead of worm castings he loves bunny shit so which i am on that too man. so if you like if you love worm castings and you have bunny shit available feed that to your fucking worms and holy shit now you, really you can actually get that. There's bunny meat farms, which are a thing. Uh, they grow rabbits for meat, and when the rabbits poo, they often have worms underneath there to process the poop, and then they can sell that worm casting. So uh, depending on where you're at, you can look locally and find it really, really cheap. Like People get like 20 pounds of it for damn near nothing if you go locally to them, but they're not going to like ship it to you. you got to go take it off their hands. I would shovel that shit if they give it to me. Now there's your one part. Fuck yeah, dude. If you want an inclusive one part, I've been listening and there it is. So it's part of the secret. If you look into bad bunny nutrients, shout out to another Michigan brand. Um, I hear a ton of good stuff and I've seen people have crazy good results with it. They're, a bunny, when it eats their food, it actually often eats its own poop because it only digests it part way. And they, when they eat their poo, they get the rest of the nutrients out of it. So if you put them up on a sort of bedding or anything that ha allows the poo to drop through and you collect it, on the first run basically where it's not eaten twice uh, it's much more nutritious so if you feed that to your worms then you're getting something that's like a really nutrient dense uh food for your plants and that's basically as organic as you can come depending on what you're feeding the bread and 
Yeah, shout out to Bad Bunny Nutrients here in Michigan. You find them all over the place in different uh, grocery stores. HTG. They're in Oklahoma now. Yeah, my bunny. I used to have a bunny, and um, you, it, it was hard to get first round poop from her because she just ate it. She it was like her favorite snack. It's probably like, it's a like cat. easier to chew. I want to shout yeah. out Rifa Mamacita. She has a guinea pig, and she was a new grower in organic, and she used her guinea pig. She would compost tea, the poo, and she would fucking amend it into the soil, and she had great results with it. So, I mean, you can. Well, yeah, how creative. many guinea pigs did she have, Jack? I don't know. I think it was just one, man. Like one or two, maybe. How much poop can a little guinea pig make? I mean, come on now. When you clean the cage it, instead of throwing it out. Is it amazing? I would be surprised. Well, Does it just depends on how much you feed it. I think it's a combination uh, of both the, the size yeah, of the guinea pig, how active it is, how much it's, it's eating. So I actually uh, asked the Bad Bunny people what they fed their rabbits because I was interested in their feeding them mostly alfalfa hay. So that just makes, you know, I was like, fuck, yes. No wonder why it's so good. And you just basically, that's a high nitrogen input right there. And it's full tricant. Now, I don't know if it survives, but I'm sure some of it does. And, uh, I bet it does for sure. There's got to be some. And I wanted to say earlier, we did uh, shout out Scotty Real. I do think that the he makes some interesting and good products. I've had good experiences with Recharge and uh, Smash Cannabis. If I didn't already mention this, mentioned that he is looking for people to test that soil. So if you reach out to them, uh, it's probably on DudeGrows.com or Scotty Real, wherever. Um, you might be able to test the soil instead of having to pay for it and uh, let us know how it works. Because I, I don't like to slam a product I've never used, but I also don't like to give it a bunch of uh, free press if it might end up being like something that's not the best. So uh, yeah. curious to see how it unfolds. I, I've used the, I, like I said, you can run it right through your one bin. Works great. Or you could go straight. That's one of the ones, uh, I think alpaca is another one. Um, they call Mr. That. Soul has alpacas for that reason, I think, because. Yeah, uh, you can go straight. You don't have to compost, compost it. It's, it's, you can go straight on and uh, it won't burn your plants. So it's just called a cold compost then where it, it yeah, you don't, you just, it has to break down with time, you know, to be plant available, but it does, you know, with your microbes, but you don't have danger of burning it like you would like uh, chicken manure. You know, you can't go straight in with chicken manure. You're going to burn the, I mean, it's just going to burn your plants right up just like a, a high, cause it's so high in nitrogen. I would wonder about uh, deer, <laughs> like deer compost or something, because where I lived in Ohio, I used to play paintball and you would find piles yeah. and, and it, it looks, looks like, like bunny shit. I like it. Yeah. That's a good question. I, wonder, I, I bet alpaca looks the same way. I wonder if there's like a. I mean, I don't. I don't mean to like be that guy, but like, I wonder if some of them are inappropriate. Certainly, um, omnivore uh, droppings tend to be a little bit. Uh, Horse you know, can be problematic. You Have you heard about the deer that eat? There's there's been documented deer eating meat, squirrel. Um, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, there's so, video of them eating birds. Joe Rogan talked yeah, about it. I looked into yeah, it. Yeah, don't try. Don't trust that poo, I'd say. Yeah, I'm the Is that the one, the one from Plum Island? I'm not sure where it was at, but I, I wanted to say, I think horse manure is something that should always be composted if you're ever planning to use it. Some people, sure. that's all they have available. It's local, and if they can compost that, it's a resource, and it, it's often free. They'll, if you show up with a truck, they'll let you take as much, or maybe they often have even like a minimum. You have to take a whole truckload or something. But um, it can be a way to build soil if you're doing like a large outdoor farm or greenhouse and you don't want to put a ton of money into the inputs. Uh, you can be cre creative and try and make yourself your own compost if you're knowledgeable and do it right. Or you can get your own comp. I mean, comp. you could, yeah, you'd make your own compost, but you get your own inputs pretty close to free if 
you have large vehicles and stuff. You know what I mean? To be able to haul stuff. Dude, horse poop is so easy. All you got to do is buy it, ask them how long it's been sitting. If it's a year, go ahead and use it. If it's less than a year, just let it sit somewhere in your, near your wherever and let it sit for up to a year and then it's ready to go generally. I heard an interesting. I'm go looking ahead, Andy, up sorry. a I'm looking up a short paper. Uh, anyone who wants to look at it themselves can see it's called Pathogens Transmitted in Animal Feces in Low and Middle Income Countries. And they were saying that uh, as opposed as for deer, um, uh, hepatitis E, there are deer for that, or deer are not uniquely a vector for that, as well as pigs <laughs> and um, a few other things here. Good so, find. <laughs> yeah, just uh, just do a little bit of looking into it i do agree with what aaron is saying though um uh you know like if you process it and jack too like if if it's processed in some way then i feel like it's a lot safer and i think that's one of the things about like bioremediation in general is like like uh, the poorly named uh, toilet tap you know process like water gets around and that's why processing is so important in some way or another yeah they say that we're drinking the same water that was like dinosaurs were pissing in all those years ago <laughs> the water cycle if it, uh, hey i got a question about the deer eating the animals is that like normal then they just realize it happening or what's that it's all like about an extreme hunger my, to my knowledge it's not common it's like it's, uh they'll do it if it's needed or there's no greenery available. around they're starving wow. yeah, a lot of okay. animals will do that um they have like these like yeah, they have these like uh, stress eating responses or like, that's why like in a laboratory test for like biocontrols, super important to do like uh, um, choice and no choice tests. Because if you like, one way you can unfortunately bias your research is if you don't give the predatory mite, for example, or whatever, um, a choice between like, maybe like what we're, what's known to be like its typical food source and like a different food source that you're trying it on. Because if that food, other food source, the primary one, is abundant, then it might like ninety nine percent of the time only go after the other one and not actually. It's like no, be this mouse. Control. No, this mouse prefers cocaine. I starved <laughs> it to death, and it was eating so much. Protein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. With like the case of deer, or even like a, a house animal. Like if you have a cat that's never actually killed anything, it might not know what to do with like a bird that flies into your house. But the first time it kills a bird, then it's gonna want to have an appetite for killing birds. Like they start seeing red. So that horse that ate a, a bird or a mouse or a squirrel or whatever it was, it might then start to eat meat because it knows like, oh, this is a way that I can get food. But typically, they won't. There was even a case where there was horses that were fed uh, cacti, the spineless cacti. Shout out to Luther Burbank, a cool breeder, a bunch of different things. But when they were raised on this cacti, they actually got so much water from eating the cacti that they didn't need to drink. So very often uh, in this herd of horses, many of them wouldn't even drink water when presented it because they had been so adequately hydrated by their diet. So it's definitely interesting uh, animal's behavior. One thing I wanted to say, going back to the kind of aged um, manure of different animals. I heard a story a while ago of a old chicken coop that somebody converted into a grow and it was like a hundred year old chicken uh, manure. And chicken manure is one thing that was always on my radar as kind of being hot, especially if it's like fresh um, because in the early forum days, subcools, super soil that we talked about, Vic High originally had uh, chicken manure as part of his super soil mix that subcool uh, amended and later took out the chicken manure and uh, changed the mix quite a bit but 
I always sort of thought of it as being really hot. And then when I heard this story, um, it clicked to me that the age is definitely a big thing uh, and what's happening in that time. Like, was it raining and like, what else is going on? What kind of environment, heat, uh, sunlight, uh, oxygen, all those things factor in. And um, I guess they had a really killer grow with like some of the best flavors that they'd ever had. I think it might have been Breeder Steve, if I'm remembering correctly, but it was an interesting story. And I just wish I could uh, pinpoint exactly who it was. Dude, I used to year after year for probably six years straight, five years straight, grew in a pig pen. I, I knew a pig farmer, so he'd have his pigs in the, and uh, he'd get them in the fall and they'd have them all winter long. And then he'd get them, uh, they'd really be butchered in the early part of the year. And then uh, he'd go in and till it up, mix it all up so it wasn't super hot from the pigs. <laughs> and uh, we planted it every year. That's where, where his grow was. And uh, he'd, the deal I had with him was, was he had, a 12, you know, he could grow 12 plants here in, in Michigan. So uh, he would let me have one of the plants, you know, grow sometimes two, you know, it was two. He'd let me grow two because it'd be on one end. So he'd let me grow two plants and he'd grow 10. And uh, it was awesome. We always did really good. I didn't have to amend it much or, you know, I just sunk the pots halfway in the ground with some M3 in it and uh, gave it water the whole season. I'm happy that you at least said you used some M3 because I always get so jealous when I hear somebody they're like, oh, I just planted right into the ground, killed it. Like their native soil was amazing. They had a ton of success. They're like, yeah, just fucking dropped a seed or a clone in the ground. Had amazing result. Like uh, if only it were that so easy for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I'm going to try to do that this year. Maybe I still haven't got them out there. I got plenty of time. Though. I got some auto flowers I'm going to throw outside, I think. See what, see what I can do with them. I'm getting uh, a little bit excited. My barber that I taught to grow, he's uh, getting really excited about the idea of getting into hemp cultivation. And I just love growing under the sun, like getting plants out, whether it's cannabis or anything else. The sun is like, in my opinion, the best grow light. <laughs> I don't think anybody's matched it yet or found a better spectrum. So it's uh, really awesome to see whether you're in a greenhouse or full sun. Cannabis is the expression. And uh, I haven't worked a lot with hemp, I'll be perfectly honest, but Matthew turned me on to a group and, uh, locally here in San Diego called Cultivaris Hemp that actually has some good looking hemp buds like locally to me, like really, really close to me. So it's cool that I'll be able to have access to some clones that I know in this area will test below a certain percent. And I can also um, start to breed and mess around and make seeds and just have fun with it. You know, it's uh, getting out under the sun and not having plant counts is uh, definitely seems exciting, even if it's just for CBD and uh, CBN and CBG and those types of things. One of the first things I noticed growing them outside over growing them inside was how they track the sun. It's like they don't fucking move around like that in, in inside, but outside they'll fucking follow the sun. I mean, they'll be facing due east and then, you know, at the end of the day, they're facing all due west. They follow the damn sun, man. So I think it, I love shit like that, man. Just the little things you notice. I watched that last night. I was playing cornhole at uh, we my little neighborhood just a few people and um there's a sunflower and you could literally watch it following the sun as the sun was going down and then after the sun went down it just like drooped <laughs> and it was like it's a huge like it's only probably three feet tall but it's the actual type of sunflower it is the head of it is bigger than my head so it's pretty dramatic when you see it and it's just like the one kind of tracking it and yeah. uh it's yeah it's really yeah. cool to see that kind of stuff i've seen a like field time lapse sunflowers 
I've seen a field of sunflowers time lapse doing that. It's wild because like the whole entire field, all the heads move with the sun. It's crazy. I love time lapse for that. Even like uh, cannabis growing, when you see it like the like seedling like spiraling up, like you just wouldn't think until you see that time lapse video that like oh like maybe that's like the I don't know the wind blowing it or the earth's rotation or something I don't know but it's it's cool to see it's not just growing like straight up as uh, one person might think. So we've uh, definitely touched on the organic one part nutrient mix and uh, originally I was going to do this episode and call it cocoa versus because I was hoping cocoa for cannabis uh, Dr. MJ would be here and I wasn't going to do it as like a um, cocoa versus soil like this is better than that but more like a how does cocoa compare as a media to soil or hydroponics or other things just like how it handles and I think it'd still be a good topic despite him not being here because we have Spartan who grows in cocoa at work and has organic experience at home I've grown in cocoa I think a few of the other panel members here have, as well and just anybody who's grown in other media can say like this is how it works for me in, in seed laying or veg and, and flower and uh, so I guess I'll throw it to Spartan first and, and see what what are your thoughts about just some of the differences at the early stages like starting from seedling so for me, it's two different ways of growing um, and it's two different mindsets and it, where the, where the biggest differences is watering. One, you know, I don't want to go into the big lengthy detail of that at this point, but if we want to get back into it later, we can, but once you figure out the watering of each side and then compare them to each other, as far as how the growth and everything, you're going to be watering more um, with the cocoa but you but the benefit of that or you know the trade-off for your labor there is is that you get increased growth uh, you get increased growth rates throughout all the way i i feel um maybe not like cloning i mean we, if you take a clone off of a plant in cocoa versus a plant in soil i think that clone rate is similar i don't i don't see a huge difference there but pretty much every other aspect once the roots hit the media i believe that the that the cocoa i mean the plants that i see every day at work uh you know thousands at a time over and over and over again and it's just sometimes i mean it's obviously strain specific but sometimes it's just amazing to me the the rate of growth that can be seen and that's just is there cocoa. a flavor a major flavor difference if it's the same strain you know grown in cocoa versus living soil that you notice dude i was just thinking the same thing it's not a fair that's why give, we have the same last name. Yeah, I can't give a fair. <laughs> I can't give a. I can't give a fair answer. I'll give you an answer. Yes, if I were to to answer your question, if I were to take a strain, a clone from work and, and grow it in mine, I believe that it would taste better. I don't believe that it would be a huge difference, but I believe it'd be a difference that I would be able to tell. Now that being said, I the plants at home get far more attention per plant than the plants at work. And I also have help at work. So, I mean, it's not exactly a scientific experiment there. I mean, two different environments, you know what I mean? And, you know, the but care you feel you like the plant home. that's going to get the better care. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, what I would have to do is take a third cut and grow it in, you know, the same, you know, in, in cocoa, right. And, and, and do that to, to have a true side by side. And I haven't done that. So, I can't give you a true answer there myself, but that's as close of an answer I can give you there. Two questions. One question. What uh, 
what kind of nutrient line would you recommend to a cocoa grower? Because I am, see, that's the thing. Like, I'm just, I'm just basically trying to start over again. I'm just trying to learn everything about this. Like, you know, I know I can always do what I'm doing. I, I'm going to keep doing it on the side here, but I'm trying to just do everything new and I'm going to do the cocoa thing. I'm obviously going to talk to Dr. MJ about it, but I'm just curious what, what line, what, what kind of nutrients would you use in cocoa? And then my second question is what, and I hate to be that guy. Like, and I, you never hear me say this, but you, if you got the two clones, like you said, from work and one was in cocoa and one was in your soil, which one would yield more? Cocoa for sure. Okay. I think it, it'll be close though because Eagle Gardens grows in cocoa and he just did a side by side with an earth box and his um, yield actually was much larger in his soil earth box than it was um, with the cocoa and he's been growing cocoa for years and years and years. Smiley's garden came over with the earth box set it all the way up for him basically so he just has to fill it up with water and he same lights they're all grown under a thousand watt HPS uh, in four by eight tents side by side and you watched it grow behind him he had a live show every single night and you could literally see him uh the earth box was just healthier so i think he didn't have his cocoa dialed in as well as some people could and the soil was really dialed in in that instance where spartan situation the cocoa is dialed in as fuck it's professionally done by a team of caregivers who all actually really give a fuck they built it from the ground up with the best equipment they could afford at the time they set it up with really good due, due diligence and yeah, they have a team that that with the environments. I mean, that environment there is in fucking, I mean, we got that in check and it's checked by four or five people all the time where, you know, this environment, I don't even have a monitor. <laughs> so, I mean, I got the yeah, regular, yeah. you know, temperature, humidity, all that good shit, but I don't have a 24, you know, I don't have, I can't pull up my phone. I don't have that yet. The I beauty is you can still it. grow more dank bud with your non-regulated 24 hour checked environment than they can in that large environment. And I think that does go to what Matthew mentioned earlier, the care per plant is, is meant as good as you guys do at Mechanico. And I hats off to you guys. The numbers don't lie. Uh, the, the photos, I haven't smelled it or smoked it yet, but from what I'm hearing, there's a lot of good stuff. But I do think that home growers should kind of have like a little notch in their belt to realize we can grow some of the best shit on the planet. And I think that's like undeniable when you've smoked, at least I've been able to smoke some of the best buds from the best growers, like, in, in the legal markets and the illicit markets. So um, well, some people, the shit that people grow in their closet is often some of the best shit you'll come across. Some stresses will increase THC too, that, you know, they won't be, have those stresses in a tiled perfect environment. And Russ Brand, Brandon Russ doesn't use any cocoa, does he? No, he's all... Because he's got some killer, and it appears as though he would have some killer uh, yields that might, uh, you know compete against uh, all cocoa grow. And I think that's up for debate, especially when you get someone like Brandon Rust having it the organic so dialed in. I would say they're, I, I would give the edge to cocoa, but when they're both really dialed in, I'd say it's pretty close. I think that cocoa grows faster. So you have to vet I for think a shorter it's period easier. of time. Yeah, it's easier in cocoa to achieve better yields. I would say that probably is undeniable because I mean, I haven't done it personally, but like all you need is the right nutrients and water and you're there with the cocoa pretty much. I've done it personally and, and I've helped like a hundred people grow in cocoa using Dr. MJ's list yeah. on his website where you just say, here is a recommendation where if you keep it between 1.2 and 1.4 EC in veg and he uses, um, what's the general hydroponics, pretty inexpensive liquid line. He believes that the powder nutrients are difficult for some of the newer growers to mix. But if I was going to recommend to you, Noah, I really like uh, Jack's three, two, one for the cost. 
some people like Floriflex and uh, God, what's the other big one? Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of different lines for cocoa. I just wouldn't recommend uh, advanced nutrients Athena. because there's a bunch of different bottles and it gets really, really expensive. Athena is the other dry nutrient line. Athena's a good one for sure. Um, Don't use power side with Athena if you're going to use Athena. It has its own silicate. There's people that try to throw power side in and it fucks it all, like clouds all up and you know what I mean? Falls out of solution and stuff. So it's like um, Heavy 16. If you use their roots, I used Heavy 16 when I was in Cocoa, which is a liquid line, but they have the basically Power SI uh, product in their roots product line. And it's like one milliliter per gallon or whatever. And it has the basically fancier, more expensive, more available uh, potassium silicate, maybe, or not potassium silicate. It's a monosilicic acid or something like that. Yep, monosilicic. Mono what do you guys think about the power size? We, we use it at work. Works good. That's expensive. <laughs> I'd say it works well. well. It's you not don't, needed, but it's, it's use a lot. It's uh, that's the thing. It is expensive, just like mammoth pee. It's expensive, but you're not using a lot. It lasts a little bit longer than what you imagine it will. Yeah, like I think it's a one milliliter per gallon, and like if you Point get a little. Point five is what we use in, in veg. And then yeah, so there you go. I mean that then those tiny little two hundred fifty milliliter bottles, like the baby ass little sample bottle. That means that mixes five hundred gallons of uh, water. So that's a pretty good amount. So the cost is expensive, but like you said, it'll last a while because you're using very little. And you get, I'd consider it uh, like Mycos, like you can use a little bit of it and I think you get a good effect out of it. A lot of people um, choose to skip out on that. And a lot of people have looked, will pull up research papers and say, well, Jack, Mycos doesn't form a relationship until this amount of days and this amount of time. And I'm just like, I've just done too many side-by-sides and seen the much happier plants be the one in the transplant. Like if I just forgot to spoonful one of my transplants out of like the seven that one looks way shittier than all the rest of them and it's just like um well it could be that's those things everybody's so focused on the plant and it's like what about what the fungi does to the fucking soil what you know improves the tilt of the soil holds more moisture there's a million things so maybe maybe it didn't uh you know make that handshake yet with the plant root but it's still in the soil it's still spreading my ceiling across and making that network it's still working in the soil so people got to make that connection the plants connected to the soil so what happens in the soil well i'm saying soil but media you know so yeah, you have to remember you know? brandon's That's just a like a soil point, list dude. right because like it's there's no sand silt or clay but it's technically treated like a soil because how we're feeding we're treating a lot of people say feed the soil not the plant you're giving that soil some of those the mycos and i didn't even really consider that uh spartan to be honest but the impact it has on just like drainage even like looking at the granular nature of it it's going to change the nature of the soil depending on how much you're using it doesn't need to be a bunch and i found when it has root contact it's a lot more effective than when it doesn't have root contact but um that's definitely um, something I think people suggest. I've seen people put it in like salt shakers, which I think is a cool way to disperse it uh, where you're not using too much at one time. The one thing I haven't used a bunch of uh, is the Azos, which I see a lot of people really like and they use that in combination. But it's just one of those things I maybe I need to stop. I think one you. replaces the other. I don't think, I think if you use both, you're doing the wrong thing. I think no, one for one application and one's for the no. other. So one's for the soil, that's one's for the spray. Well, I don't know what the difference is. There's I a think difference. No, Azos helps nitrogen. True uptake yeah asos is a nitron oh go ahead Dale. i'm sorry yeah just uh hold on one second all right um azos is a bacteria mycos is a fungus and the uh azos is like you're saying a nitro and uh, i believe it's a nitrogen fixer but they re recommend you use it for cloning 
but there's white papers how the azos helps assist the fungi to penetrate the roots also and get into roots and uh, yeah they're, they're symbiotic too both all of them all of it together is good shout out to mendo dope they use both of them and uh they're probably sponsored by extreme gardening but um there's a bunch of different products out there that make azos and mycos are just extreme gardening products uh, mycos is, is short for mycorrhizal fungi and i think it's the endophytic uh or not endo what's the there's a new term for epiphytic. it yeah but what they st stopped calling it uh Mycorrhizal fungi, maybe there's another term. I could be. Glom it was glomerulus enterosis, and now it's rhizoceracea enterosis, yeah, I uh, think. But micro, right? But like, that's those are different. One's a species term, the other's like a functional ecology term. But they can could be both of those. Explain things. that for the layman out there. Yeah. So, like, um, like mycorrhizae, for example, or, or technically mycorrhizas, uh, some would argue. Um, it's just a term that refers to a particular group of like fungi and there's a bunch of different kinds and they do different things. And there's like, um, and certain, so like it's classification at the end of the day, in some cases, um, in fact, I have a, a few posts on my Instagram about subjects like these and in my, uh, global cannabis IPM, uh, review video, I go over this too, that like, the way that we have classified mycorrhizae in general in the past is sometimes criticized because it's sort of like, um, it's like morphology based instead of like phylogenomically <clears throat> or like sort of like how everything kind of relates to each other genetically. Like, you know, like all the cats and the felidae and all the dogs and the, you know, all the canines um, and that kind of a thing. So, but you were saying like, and I was saying words like epiphyte, endophyte. Um, those are just terms that like kind of describe where they exist in the fight in the plant. So endophyte means inside the plant. Epiphyte means like on the surface of the plant. Um, so like endo and ectomycorrhizae are like those that can enter into the plant to some degree. And those that kind of stay on the surface of the plant um, root system. Right. And so Things can the be one. mutually exclusive or have both of those traits is essentially what I'm saying. Endo is the one I usually hear pushed in the cannabis space, but do they both have the ability to make the relationship with cannabis or is one better or worse than the other? Well, I think that, um, well, see, this is the sort of thing where like, uh, it's very, it's not like it's unuseful to uh, broadly describe or bro broadly talk about um, typically species in, the, in this way, like endo versus ecto, because the more we learn about it, the more that we find that there's more exceptions to the rules and kind of makes referring to them broadly um, as like not kind of not helpful, if that makes sense. Because I think most, and here I'm going to commit that sin right here, because in my head, I think that it's usually the case that ectomycorrhizal fungi are typically um, associated with like a lot of like tree species. And that's a very broad term. Uh, kind of answer whereas yeah, i think there's a lot more endomycorrhizae that are like um, vegetable related well I, I was trying like herbaceous plants yeah exactly yeah, and even then that term herbaceous is sort of a a, a fuzzy uh arbitrary term so i always found it weird um that great white that product offered endo and ecto and and that people were claiming that endo was all you needed for cannabis yet I saw just, this was in my synthetic days that I saw such great 
results with the great white having it be you know multi-species that i think that variance was was the key like you're saying matt like those particular species not necessarily being endo or ecto but just particular species doing having particular functions and there's yeah, some like of those the, the azospirillium uh brassilinese is the azos that we're talking about that bacteria yep. and um you know certain bacteria on a post recently or i just posted today we were talking about like fusarium and pythium and and somebody had asked me um why it is that like pseudomonas uh is found in like biopesticides or like or like biological supplements for plants whereas when like like when he's washing his hands and he's hearing about all these terrible pathogens, pseudomonas is also, um, you know, a pathogen of humans and things we're worried about. Why is that? Well, it's because pseudomonas, the genus, has tons of different species. And sometimes even the same species can be a pathogen or beneficial to a plant or a human in different contexts. So um, it's very nuanced and complex. And it's not good enough to say something like, oh this would get rid of all the bad bacteria like that doesn't that does when you when you <laughs> that doesn't make sense as a con like as a as a statement of fact it seems like it's too, what i just said too early to even understand the full science of it and it's too easy to oversimplify so using st statements like that is like painting with too broad of a brush but the american one over here has his hand up so i want to get to him and then next i'll uh, let spartan grow and jump in because it sounded like he had something he wanted to say there too the american one yeah i was gonna say and uh comment and question about the endo and ecto it's like the so cannabis only makes a relationship with the endo uh, fungus but the ecto uh i don't know if if any of that breaks down nutrients but some of that fungi will will not only break down nutrients that are in the soil but when they die they become nutrients for your plants as well so um i think that might have something to do with it i know i'm pretty damn sure the pseudomonas is definitely a nutri a nutrient a releasing uh, fungus of some sort so that could be why it's in a lot of products as well and even now all the products i see have have both pretty much i want to i want i won't say too much here because i want other people to be able to speak but i just want to say that um we don't know enough about the cannabis microbiome and i think that we have we know a little bit, and I think there's some some research that sort of points to more of a, a an effect and more of a relationship. But um, yeah, I think that there's a lot more to it, and that we should be cautious about what we only need and what that would even mean in like a cultivation context. And that's it. That's a great point, uh, Spartan. Did you want to jump in there? Yeah, the, the only thing I was going to add was when Aaron was talking about the great white, and I can't remember. I know it's intracades, but I don't remember the first part. Maybe it was a Galamis. But it was one of the ones that they they actually found when they pulled up cannabis plants and looked at the roots. It was one of the ones they actually found actually did make a relationship with cannabis. I read that in a paper and then I went looking through products and one of the products that had it was recharge and the other was great white. And this was an ectophytic or? I don't remember. I just remember, I remember it was a big deal because it was the only fungi. So I had to been the ecto because it was like, the, it was the only one they found that had made the actual relationship with the root. Well, it's probably the endo then, I think. Yeah. That, those are the most common. Dynamico is supposedly engineered their product for cannabis only. So, you could look at those ingredients and, and 
make some sort of uh, I don't know. Clearly, yeah. there's some private research going on that they're not really telling us what what they're doing, but they're figuring shit out and then making products about it. And like what Matt says, like Matt says, it's really complicated. They'll never know probably all the little intricacies for a long ass time. But uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, what do you think about like the great white product, uh, Aaron? Um, it's great, but it's really overpriced. <laughs> That's kind of what I, I, I create, you know, and, and the other thing is you, you can use stuff like that. You can use a pinch and it, my understanding is it sort of procreates in your soil. So, you know, if you reuse an organic soil, buy a jar of it and never look back. Awesome. Yeah. I just feel like, um, <laughs> uh, if somebody is going to make the statement that like, you only need this product of ours that has all the good stuff that you need. At this point in our understanding of cannabis microbiome, I'm going to say maybe it's a little hasty. Shenanigans, <laughs> yeah. That's why I really like the, I mean, all the organic soil approach, because if you come at it with so many different amendments that have, you've got six sources of calcium and, and three sources of nitrogen and all these different options for the microbes and the plant to make these relationships with and take up whatever it wants. Like for a while, we thought uh, when we first started learning about uh, growing with nutrients that it needed, I don't know what, 10 nutrients, like NPK plus a few micros. And then they thought 17 and then it was 33. And now there's like 54 and now there's 77. And it's like, if you just look at kelp, there's like, I think 70 to 80 different things within that, maybe hundreds and um, things that the plant are taking up that are available in certain plants that we know about. Um, maybe potential inputs or, or things that are going to be a nutrient to that. Like cannabis is, is very... Um, early in the understanding. So I think that, like Matthew said, anybody who's claiming to know 100% uh, of what it needs right now might be a little on the early end. Kyle says, I have to spend some time with my, okay, I'm not going to read the rest of the message, but Kyle, um, <laughs> <clears throat> I wanted to give you a chance to jump in and then let you uh, speak for a little bit. If you have any final thoughts before you want to get heading out. Uh, yeah, man, I just want to say, uh, you know, I still really appreciate what, what we're all doing here, man. You know, I'm glad to, even though I'm sure we all have things going on in our life that uh, we're still able to come here and uh, still do this, you know, and maybe hopefully we can do this for many more years, you know, and uh, uh, random news. I did do a, uh, an interview with uh, Growcast on Friday, which I don't do well in interviews, but we'll see how that goes. So he's going to air that. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's pretty cool. And uh, yeah, other than that, I'm just, uh, again, you know, I'm just really happy everyone's doing well. If anybody has any questions, uh, feel, free, feel free to reach out. Uh, I do communicate. And uh, yeah, so I have Feminized Seeds. If there's a website, uh, there's a link in my bio. It's the letter P followed by breeding.com and uh, predicated breeding on all social media platforms. And I hope everyone's doing well and I'll see you guys uh, on Sunday. Definitely look forward to seeing you next week, Kyle. And I think you don't give yourself enough credit, man, uh, with your interview skills. I, I listened back to some of the Breeders Collectives when I found out Stitcher had all of the old Cheap uh, Home Grow podcasts archived. And on some of those breeders collectives, you drop some real uh, gems for anybody who wants to get into breeding, uh, even making their own feminized seeds. Kyle basically gives you his whole recipe and his experience with when to spray, how much to spray, concentrations, the difference between silver thiosulfate and colloidal silver, whole bunch of really, really uh, just, in my opinion, gems for the cannabis community. And I'm really thankful that you put that out there for everybody. And uh, you have a lot more knowledge than you give yourself credit for. And uh, I think you're a great addition to this panel and the Growcast will uh, be thankful that they had you on. Thank you, Jack. I really appreciate that. Thanks, guys. Take care. Peace out, Kyle. And yeah, your plants are looking uh, mighty frosty, dude, across the IGs. Uh, I see I see more of your uh, rock candy and stuff, dude. Good work. 
I was just looking at Kyle's page the other day. It looked like some of your organic soil stuff was uh, looking awesome, man. Good job. Yeah, shout out to uh, shout out to Roots Organic. I just switched, so apparently they ran an M3. So I'm using uh, this is my first round with Roots Organic Lush soil. So uh, I don't know how it's gonna go, but so far they seem pretty good. And, and from my experience, the first thing that I ever had to pleat in any of it is a uh, is Calmag. Right off the bat, usually with, after like a week, some of the plants that are, are a little on the hungrier side have Calmag deficiencies. So I just add like a couple splash and they bounce right back. But uh, but yeah, I appreciate it, guys. Things are getting there and. Uh, I am supposed to be getting some pollen from Green Bodie at the beginning of this week and uh, some other things going on. I have that GMO by root beer cut. Uh, me and Brendan are kind of do, are in the middle of some things. So there should be some really good stuff for the, the community because I've been basically riding on the same gear for a while now. So uh, it's it's, uh, it's invigorating that something new is coming to the market. So, um, but yeah, thank you again, you guys. I appreciate it, man. Take care. Have a good one, Kyle. I just want to give you one tip before you go. Green sand yeah. is the organic CalMag for anybody who's looking. Green sand is literally uh, calcium and uh, magnesium. So that's a replacement, but I would honestly think that gypsum will probably work a lot better for you. Uh, LED grown organic plants so often turn yellow, and I think it's very often the calcium and a little bit of gypsum goes a long way. And the last thing gypsum I'll say is the terp tea, go light, go light on the terp tea. Gypsum and langbanite equals organic Calmac. Yeah. Can you top, you just top test with that stuff and that's, and that's yeah. fine? Yep. It's like a, it, looks like, it looks like a salt. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Huh. Don't tell the organic guys. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right. Love you all. Take care, man. Take care. Another good one is uh, worm castings will help with calcium anyway. Uh, they're kind of coated in calcium. So that's why I always it seems throw... like worm castings help with everything. Yeah, that's why I always throw fucking worm castings at shit. But I also I, I, kind of, I feed my worms a good fucking diet. It's not like I'm just fucking feeding them just shit. They get shit, but they also get like a little sprinkle of BioLive or Craft Blend or whatever I got. That gives a little bit of fucking barley in there. So you know, you guys little... were talking about silica earlier, right? Um, PowerSci and all that? Yeah. Um, I had a thought, but I, I, I guess I didn't get to chime in, but it just came to my mind. Um, we are the cheap home grow, right? So what's the cheapest way to get silica? A little Damn. bit of plant ferment, man. Just go, go rip up some dandelions and some milk thistle throw it in a bucket and coat it with water. Let it sit for a month, stir it once a week. It's ready in a month, dude. And it use it in a one to 50 ratio. I'm literally, I'm about to feed that in a few days because once a year I do that and plants love it. Also vermiculite in your soil mix, that's in the M3. And once I started growing an M3, I've grown in soil in the past. We didn't use uh, vermiculite or large amounts of what would provide silica to the plant. And since I started growing in the M3, it's like I could bend my plant basically all the way down to the soil from any part of the plant uh, at most stages until like much, much later when it becomes woody. But um, it's amazing how pliable you can get with uh, the right amount of vermiculite. I think it gives that plant a good stability and uh, just something about the cells. Like they just they'll bend but not snap as much in my experience. That vermiculite, you got to be careful. I always, it looks like perlite, but it doesn't work the same. It, it kind of holds water. It almost people think it's like heavy metal, I think, sometimes, or maybe there's something else in the M3. Uh, maybe that I think it's the um, maybe the God, what, what was it? Um, here's the mix. OK, it could be the rock phosphate. There's little like uh, flakes of rock phosphate in there. And people think that there's like heavy metals in the soil because they see these what looks like tiny little pieces of metal, but it's tiny little pieces of rock. And if you've seen certain rocks, they're like reflective, like a fool's gold almost look to it. 
and uh, they see it shining in their soul and they're like, what the hell is that? And uh, Spartan, with the whole comment you made earlier with um, your re-amendment, I think um, what I've done to, because the perlite eventually will break down into like sand or get crushed or float to the top over time. I use uh, Brandon's kind of strategy of 10% rice hulls and 30% um, pumice. So like 40% of the mix, I try and make aeration. So that way I can water a little bit more frequently and not be like punished for it, I guess. Uh, sometimes in soil, the soil can get a little bit waterlogged. And I found if you want your plants to grow close to as fast as they can grow in cocoa, in my experience, you have to give them a little bit more aeration. So that way you can keep getting water in there. Because um, what you were going to say earlier, or what you said earlier about the hungrier plant, what I noticed with the M3 is if you like wait longer between waterings, like the less hungry plants will do fine, but the hungrier plants, like they want to be watered almost more often. So if I gave them like less water, but more frequently, it made the nutrients in the soil available, so to speak. So then they would be able to make it through the run without needing anything additional, like a top dress or a larger pot or um, any additional things to the soil mix. Yeah, for sure. I've noticed that um, if you, well, the easiest way to say is if you let them dry out, they do worse <laughs> in, in a sip. So I, what I like to do, what I mean by not the sip container itself, but to, to it'd be past the sip container to where the actual, the media dried out. If you let the media dry out, then it's a, it's a bad thing in a sip situation. Um, so the way that I try to time my, and like I say, I try, I'm not perfect, but uh, the way that I try to time my waterings is, is that the container, you know, the res, I guess we'll call it, is dry right when I'm ready to water it. Like it doesn't stay, the res itself won't stay dry for more than, you know, eight hours at the very most. It's probably likely going to be at the very moment, I mean, I usually will water again when I see like just the very littlest amount of water at the bottom. So it's very often that it doesn't happen, but yeah, for sure. Sometimes it'll get, it'll be dry. And uh, those ones that are the ones that are really beasting out tend to be the ones that are drinking the most, which makes sense because as the water passes through the plant, that's where it's getting, picking up the minerals. It has the strongest root system that's most able to take the water up into the plant. I found, like you said, um, Within 12 hours, if I push it past 12 hours on a dry back with the sip, then you start to notice slowed growth and uh, it doesn't like it when it gets um, dried out. But with the M3, one of the things that I watched a bunch of YouTube videos before I tried it and the guy himself, uh, Swan, or one of the people over at Michigan Made Mix, he was talking about when you first transplant in, especially with like a smaller root ball, like he likes to err on the side of like watering um, lightly, I would say, and like he doesn't fully saturate the soil the first time. And I actually think that's a good idea for people that are going to use that kind of mix, because if you do, I think it's a little bit too hot. It might take too long for it to dry out uh, and you'll have this really soggy pot sitting there for quite a while. So there are definitely some tips and tricks with the M3. It isn't the most newer grower friendly, I'll say, because uh, it is, I would say it tends to be a little bit too hot for some stuff um, in my case. But um, what I wanted to mention about the drying out, I only have a sip for my flower plants. So in veg, I start in a solo cup. And then I go into a one gallon easy swap pot. And at that point, um, I've noticed you really have to make sure you're not watering again too soon with the M3. Um, if there's, it might seem like it's dry, like you could pick it up and it almost feels light. But if the plants are looking good until the bottom sets the leaves, I think sometimes start to droop in like the smaller pots, uh, I won't water again. Cause sometimes like if I think like, oh, you know, the top little quarter inch of soil is dry, I water again, then they just like all the 
leaves are super drooped and they look like really swole up with water like oh we got it a little bit too early and almost looking like it's overwatered. so definitely like to get it into the sip as soon as possible because it takes the guesswork out of the watering and i'm even considering doing like a little tray for uh, my veg just throw down some i don't know uh what are the little rock like, or the little even pumice might work pumice yeah any of that stuff yeah so pumice underneath and then just bottom water so they like to say butt chugging over at the frugal forest and michigan bros grow show it's yeah, funny how many thinking, people got into tray, it i might do the same thing i was just thinking i'll be able to do i have a two by it's a two by four tray i'll be able to squeeze it in there and i can just put i, I think i have a bag of hydrogen balls fucking somewhere and i could just dump that in there and uh put all my one gals in there that's what i'm gonna do with my i have like a 50 cell clone tray and I use that for my solo cups and my one gallons. It can fit three easy swap one gallons like uh, sideways. So that's like my little veg space. So I'm definitely learned something new for this show that I'm gonna implement in the garden this week. And uh, hopefully it'll make life a little bit easier. And I think uh, the one thing that I would caution with that is um, it's only really gonna be effective, I guess, maybe once the roots are close enough to the bottom of the pot that it can wick up um, potentially. If it's got enough sidewall, I guess it can wick the water up naturally with the um, like fabric pot. Yeah, yeah, you might have the top water a little bit, but who cares if it, you don't have to worry about catching the runoff? It's already in a tray, right? So yeah, it acts like an organic hempy at that point, where you've just like if it has runoff, you don't have to worry about chop backing it out or having anything go on like that. So uh, good, good thoughts there. I've even seen some people put a little bit of a layer in the bottom of their pot um, to make like that action. Um, hydroton is usually what they use at that point. Yeah. Just like the bottom, maybe quarter inch or inch. I've done that in my, uh, what was that? Uh, auto pot says I had an auto pot nine tray. I'm not using it now because the plant counts, but uh, I love not, <clears throat> I love to be able to do nine plants in a four by four. It was fucking amazing. But uh, yeah, I had to do like a, I don't know, an inch maybe of, the, of that in each, the bottom of each pot there to make them not struck. Because the first time I just went straight soil all the way through and it just was, it kept them waterlogged, I thought, and the plants kind of struggled a little bit. And then the next run, I put in, like I said, like an inch of the hydrogen, and it was just way better. It made all the difference. That's the perfect solution for that style of a system. It's unfortunate with plant counts, like because organics, if uh, plant count were an issue, that's one of the things where if it's vegging a little bit slower, you could just run more plants, and then you don't have to veg it as long, and then you can get the same canopy off of more plants with less veg time. I've noticed for myself personally, cocoa uh, from seed, like from the day I sprout the seed to flipping to flower, could be as short as like 25 to 30 days, where in soil, I'm usually like 35 to 45 days. So it's a couple extra days in veg, but for most people that isn't a huge deal, especially if you're perpetual, you've just like got that light running anyway. So <laughs> the veg space, it's like however long it takes. And as soon as you've got space open up in the flower, so you can definitely uh, accommodate for the few drawbacks. And like we were talking about earlier, I definitely think it can, uh, hit similar yields but i didn't want to make this like a versus like one is better or the uh, other or whatever and it's kind of gone into that a little bit as i think people always assume flavor is going to be better in organics i will say as an organic grower and an organic advocate i've had really shitty tasting organic but it tasted like actual cow manure or it tasted like dirt and it wasn't supposed to it was like oh this is that purple punch man it's super fruity and it's like dude this tastes like fucking dirt <laughs> like it smells like dirt it's like funky like a 
dank basement that's moldy like not in a good way and there's some bad organic bud out there just because you switch to soil and grow an organic doesn't mean your bud's going to magically all of a sudden taste amazing you have to pick good genetics you have to grow the plant well you have to have a good soil mix and you have to dry and cure it properly or else it's going to be just as bad or, or worse than other people's product that do take those steps i grew in cocoa and i had some really tasty ass bud nobody ever said hey is this hydroponically grown <laughs> they're all like shit this tastes fucking amazing this is really good and um, the line that I was running, the website I was documenting my grow on considered it organic. Like I didn't even put my stuff in the organic section, but they're like, oh, you're using a nutrient line that we consider organic. So it's just a, there's a hundred different ways to go about doing it. And um, don't be sold by anybody on whether it's the show or another show that you can only do things uh, one way. Cause there's definitely a whole bunch of different ways to have success growing cannabis. Yeah. And as far as cocoa peat, uh, both can be organic. They're both organic, right? Cocoa doesn't become inorganic until you start pouring something inorganic through it. But uh, I really am a fan of peat because it turns acidic in time. And the water, my input water that I get is basic. So it works out pretty good in my stance because on my, you know how I was saying I have that one that's into the fourth run now. I've started not even pHing it down anymore with my uh, Alaskan fish fertilizer. I've been just letting it ride at the little higher pHs and they're fucking loving it. <laughs> so it must be compensating for that, uh, that little acidity as that uh, P ages. Definitely. It's interesting to consider. I actually don't, I'm one of those guys who doesn't pH. Uh, my tap pH is really consistent. I add some stuff in there occasionally that will throw off the pH so much that I don't want to look at. Like I think Brandon's uh, micro plus would probably make the pH at some range that I probably wouldn't feel comfortable pouring it into my soil if I looked at it but then when I pour it into my soil my plants look really fucking happy I'm just like hey I'm just gonna go with it like I, I trust I see what he's doing he's having a lot of success with it I've looked into a lot of the research that he's posted and provided uh, in regards to the effect of microorganisms and how they work with uh, soilless mixes and he's seeming to have bunches of success and so many other people are uh, my plants seem to love it as well so pH I don't think it can be scary for some people but it, it matters for sure like I, I, some people are like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'll pour 9 pH in my shit and the microbes will buffer it. But I'm with Spartan on, I think you're taking energy away from maybe like those microbes could have just used uh, their energy to go get nutrition for the plant. But now they're trying to change the water and adjust their pH to maintain uh, homeostasis. I mean, I like to at least be in the range, you know, at least what is it? Five, five to six, five. <laughs> Give me that's a broad ass range. It's, it's, you should be able to hit that pretty fairly easily. Yeah, my water is like 5.9 to like 6.2, like every single time I tested it. So I'm not super worried about it. And uh, it's pretty clean. Uh, the one thing people worry about is chlorine and chloramine. Humic acid uh, completely nullifies that. So if you're having issues with chlorine or chloramine, and I think Spartan has even said like the bacteria off your arm, if you just stick it in a bucket of water, is enough to nullify the chloramine. I'm not sure about chloramine on that one, though. Yeah, I don't Something comes to mind here when you guys are talking pH, um, nitrogen is only available between six, seven and seven, three, I think I want to say. Um, so my soil, I generally keep between six, seven and six, nine, but you guys are saying five, five and six, five, is that non living soil or living soil? I'd well, consider it like a soilless, uh, it, it's technically a soilless mix because we're not adding, I think there are some clay, but I'm not adding sand or silt, but that might be considered like some of the rock phosphate and things like that. I uh, I was just given a, a broad range for 
all the way down to Coco 55 and all the way up to where I know. And the hydro guys run it so low. And I'm just wondering how the nitrogen is available. What's I think the pH this is like, of rainwater? What's that? Is anybody pH, pH of rainwater? rainwater? It, it depends, depends on where, on you're, where at. you're at. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, plants grow outside when uh, whatever that pH is, got to be close to it. They love that atmospheric nitrogen, Tao. There's a lot of yeah. atmospheric nitrogen that's coming in with that rainwater. It's falling through. But it's still a certain pH, though, you know? That probably is, I would guess, I would guess that rainwater has a relatively consistent range. But we need uh, Jamie. Or somebody like uh, Joe Rogan over here to Google the shit up on the slide. <laughs> oh, yeah, we need, we need like a judge who were like, all right, can we get fact checked on this? <laughs> if there's pollution, well, let me do that. Maybe. Rain, so it could be very acidic. Yeah, like if you're in, in LA and like when the smog era was, that rain's going to be different than like if you're in Colorado mountains where you got like fresh ass mountain air. Uh, and if there's been a thunderstorm, there's ozone in the air, right? So it's different than if there wasn't lightning striking and things like that. So a cursory Google search tells me that um, clean rain is between 5 and 5.5. Now, you know, some places it could be more acidic and maybe more basic. But um, for those who thought it would be just the same as, uh, you know, like pure water or whatever, like at 7. Um, that is so surprising. It it's like. more acidic than I thought. I'm, I'm sure it changes by the time it gets to the roots a little bit, right? Going right, some, yeah. That's the other factor. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what we're talking about with the microbes or whatever is buffering it in the soil. I mean, like lime or whatever people use, um, it can contact that and immediately begin to have a chemical change. You've got the microbes in yeah. the air buffering it. So where are they measuring this pH? At the cloud or at the ground or under the soil? That's a good question. It's a US EPA um uh, page so like i know some people aren't going to be a big fan of that <laughs> um yeah i don't know this is uh this is me also committing one of my own sins which is to not cite your source i'll put the link in there but uh i could find probably a better uh, more comprehensive thing if we really cared too much about it it's definitely interesting you know i talked to a farmer um, who runs cattle on my land. And he said, I said, how do you, uh, you know, th this, this grass needs nitrogen. How do you supply it nitrogen? He said, it's going to snow next week. The snow brings atmospheric nitrogen down for the, for the hay that's, you know, or for the, the grass that's enough. And I'm, and that just blew my mind. So when you guys, somebody mentioned atmospheric nitrogen. Ed Jack was saying that. Like as the water falls in the rain. It's yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And the snow apparently greens up after. Rain. Yeah. Farmers depend on that. Like it's real. That's it's how free they water too. Field. Yeah. It's free water. Water is expensive, especially in California. So if we get rain, it's a big deal and it has nitrogen in it. It's like free fertilizer. Like if you look at the composition That's of wild. oxygen or of like the <laughs> atmospheric. Or so here's yeah, the, dude, here's the yeah. mind fuck, right? If the rain is five, five, but it's bringing nitrogen down. How is that nitrogen even available to the plants? Dude, those pH ranges are well, best it's guesses. It's, it's not atmospheric nitrogen. Micro, it'd be micro. I mean, no, sorry, it's not like a, it's not um, it's not like it's monoatomic nitrogen. It's diatomic atmospheric nitrogen, right? Or, or it's not that is what I'm saying. It's, it's like something that's, um, 
like maybe an organic molecule like you know it's not like it's a straight up nitrogen that's what i was okay. trying to communicate okay yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think Pure it's nitrogen. like slightly nitrogen enriched because the air that is in the ox the water is h2o right so there's two parts hydrogen one part oxygen and part of that oxygen if you look at the, the oxygen that we all breathe, there's a little bit of CO2, right? There's 400 parts per million, but then there's nitrogen in that. And then there's other, it's a composition of a bunch of different gases. Yeah, most of the air, right, is nitrogen. And, you know, mm-hmm. and this this gets to a point I wanted to sort of bring up, which is that like, we're, we we often talk about this in, in context of like, like what's best for, for like a plant that's natural or like you're trying to be very um, cognizant of like the sort of the natural parameters that these plants live under but like and like that we use what we see now or what we've seen in the recent you know geologically like a bit like a you know a petasecond of time you know going by when like cannabis has been around for a long time and there's been tons of like things that have happened and uh in that in that span of time that has changed the earth and so like what is normal even like in that concept? Like that's an easy thing for anyone to say, what is really normal and and sort of like abstract it out. And my intention is not to like make everything too relativistic so that nothing matters. But my point is to like challenge the viewpoint, I guess that like what we see now is one, the correct way it should be two, natural uh, and three, like that is mutually exclusive from other things that have happened in the past. Like, the past 20 million years that there there have been lots of changes like and what about primarily with how cannabis has grown right darkness, where we grow it now darkness breaking cycle this new light deprivation technique um that they're breaking the the dark cycle with two hours of like low light and they're getting light deprivation have you guys read about this are you talking about the gas lamp we talked about it a bit right what is it where the gas lamp routine where they this is an old thing that farmers up north used to do to keep their plants in veg, essentially in the middle of the night yeah. cycle. They... No, this is forced flowering. Oh, okay. Never mind. Creating two nights in one. Oh, so where you run like a six hour day, one hour night, six hour day, one hour night, and you're basically doing like 12, 12 over uh, like different cycles. Yes, you're, except you're not for... running a 24 hour day, essentially. Yeah. Except for your, your 12 hours of light is not broken. So you have 12 hours of light, or, or rather, I'm sorry, you would have like 16 hours of, or whatever it is, you know, naturally right now, like 14 and a half hours of light, depending on your latitude. And you would break up your, you know, remaining night. So it's really bizarre. I don't, I haven't read enough about it, but it literally takes the 24 hour night cycle and breaks it into like these disproportionate sections. Um, and I think of it like, it, almost like if the earth were orbiting the sun in a, uh, I don't know what it's called, but it's like it orbits really elliptical. close and then it goes far away. Elliptical. Well, not a, elliptical, but like when it slingshots every every round, you know, it gets really close and then it goes far away. And I'm like, technically, okay. it's still ellipsoid. I think it's still accurate. Yeah, yeah, but I'm specifically saying that the ellipses would be only one of its um, orbits. The other orbit is a perfect or almost, you know, much tighter like orbit around the uh, the sun creating a much shorter night or day twice potentially okay this is sort of like out there right but this is what my brain went to when i heard about this i'm like how is this how would the plant adapt to this how is this possible why can it do this uh because of selection pressure some would say 
crystals i think that it's a, it was a little bit it was a little bit dis- difficult to understand the explanation as far as like i i'm sure there's a lot of people in the chat that are a little bit confused so until we learn a little bit more about that particular technique i think we'll shelf that and Dude, maybe, i'm confused but i brought it up hoping one of you smarties would know well i wanted to say unless somebody else has more thoughts on that about the ph range thing that those charts in my opinion are the best guesses cannabis like we mentioned earlier is not the most well studied quite yet it's being more and more studied but we still don't have definitive evidence like if you go on grow it easy and look up hydro range for their ph chart and they have a soil range for their ph chart and then you google that uh there's 35 different examples where there's 35 different ranges for nitrogen and, and other things so maybe the nitrogen is available at the five five maybe it's available at six five and maybe it depends on the medium that it's in maybe it other conditions and i wanted to say with matthew's point like in the ice age when <laughs> cannabis was almost Which extinct uh, several of them but when cannabis i think i pushed up to like the mountaintops in like india or in one of those areas where there was a very close to extinction event i think at those times the plant is like well fuck like i gotta figure out how to get nitrogen up when it's three ph or four ph or five ph whatever it is like the non-ideal condition it's like i'm gonna figure and take up whatever nutrients i can and uh in those times it figured out a way so like matthew mentioned in different eras cannabis might have been taking up different nutrient levels at different ph ranges am i just too fucking high but last time i fucking knew you fucking interrupt the dark cycle with light you get hermes but what why would you even want to do that Dude, they're doing There's it. No such, I, I no shit you not. Is too high. Just because people do it doesn't make it a good idea. I'll just Dude, say that. That's true. Why? Why? Why no, would you that's not a good idea. It? You guys don't I, know anything I'm about still, it. I'm I was just saying. Yeah. Know. Like <laughs> so you should look into this. Like, yeah. I know. I'm yeah, it goes against what everything I know. So I was super interested. <laughs> that's why I think we're questioning. We're, we're skeptical. We, we want to know more. I think I remember reading stuff on the forums about people that experimented with a clone they knew. Let's say it was GMO. It finishes in, in 80 days or 77 days or 82. Some people take it really late, like 11 weeks. So if we can make that GMO finish in 10 weeks, that's a win, right? So we took a full week off the production time. So if we can try running instead of 12 on, 12 off, let's do six on six off so then it basically goes through two day cycles per day so it's getting essentially 12 12 but twice per day at six 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 so you go six on six off six on six off so instead of it thinking that one day happened on a 12 12 maybe it thinks that two days happened because it had a light cycle and a dark cycle people have experimented with that kind of stuff and reported that maybe it lowered flowering time some of them reported it lowered yields there's another experiment and not even experiment this is a real legitimate technique that's done called the gas lamp routine for vegging uh, for people up north where they don't get enough sunlight they run their lights for uh, only a little bit of time to break the flowering cycle so in the middle of the night they'll run lights for one hour so that it breaks the photoperiodism and prevents the plants from forcing themselves into flower and some people do that um, instead of vegging for 17 18 or 24 hours of light which costs a lot of money they'll veg for 13 hours where it's like 12 hours on, they let the dark cycle happen for five hours and then they interrupt it for one hour because that keeps it in veg and it makes the hormones not able to go to flower. Sorry, Todd, did you have something there? I was just going to say, you brought it up though, that a lot of people are promoting that now because of the cost savings in electricity. And uh, yeah, there's people that preach that hard. I never tried it. It's like, it's unnatural to me, but yeah, it probably works. But you know, people change is hard for people, definitely. 
Well, and for nature, I mean, it wasn't like, to my knowledge, there hasn't been anywhere on the planet where there's been six hours on, six hours off. There is places where it gets like 20 hours on where like autoflowers, I think are interesting because like in Alaska where they have those long ass day cycles, if they got it warm enough in a greenhouse, like maybe they could grow grow some killer ass autos because they have such a amazingly long day cycle during a certain point in the year. And there's definitely ways to take advantage of these types of things where um, I think that it's cool to I don't think we're going to see those types of light cycles ever in nature, but it's um, definitely cost saving. If you're interested in these types of things, there's a guy lost leaf who's in Michigan and he talks a lot about DLI, even running just like 11, 13 versus 12, 12 for flower, which is something I do. But there are people that go even more to the extreme, like 10 on uh, 14 off. So there's a lot of uh, experimentation still to be done and even like adjusting spectrums. Spartan, have you considered uh, using that science LED to uh, start playing around with the spectrum at some point? Nope. <laughs> Keeping it simple? Yep. Man, it's just like you start adding moving parts. What happens? Yeah, I did Sometimes you find amazing shit. So I was just watching a coral video, right? And these guys like, are called reefers. They grew under uh, uh, metal halide for a while. But when the LEDs came out, they were like getting similar results. And then they started going more and blo more blue. And it brought out way more color in their corals, where their corals must be uh, green. Oftentimes, they started getting like pinks and purples and lots more expression. So you never know. Well, I did play with it a little bit when I first got it. But then when they changed the app, I'm just I'm, like Tav said, you start fucking with shit and making it difficult for me. I'm not going to fuck with it anymore. And uh, I'm just going to set it up basic and, and not have to deal with it because you start making things a pain in the ass for Spartan to do and Spartan doesn't do them anymore. I think there's a certain appreciation that I have for that. Um, I like, I have like two, I have two kind of minds of it. And I think a lot of people are the same way on the one hand, keep it simple, stupid. The other hand, you know, like champion for that, like cool little intricacy that will like give me that small edge and like, use as much as I can as possible and trying to combine those in some like useful hybrid can be a little bit difficult, but um, I think that's totally valid Spartan. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm coming up. Uh, I just uh, went through, I got, it was finalized on Tuesday. I just went through a divorce. My youngest son, he turned 18. So it's kind of at the point of my life right now where I'm kind of trying to wind down and make things simpler you know what i mean so you have to understand that too because i'm not i'm not in the push i'm not trying to be at the bleeding edge you know what i mean i just want to grow really good weed and i want it to come easy <laughs> i mean i'm not saying i'm super lazy uh i spend more time in my uh my room with my plants than i do most people uh, hands down 100 percent but so I might say that, uh, you know, um, slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. Hell yeah. yeah it's, I like, uh, slow is smooth. I like that quote. Yeah. yeah you could put me on that same list, Martin. Uh, I spent a lot more time with my plants than the other people, but I also want to, want it to be simple. I want it to be, because uh, if it's, if it's complicated, and it's too over the top, it becomes not fun anymore. You know, I mean, when you're doing something like this and you're seeing great results and you know, it's not as hard as other things, you know, because as you all know, with growing, growing is really 
can be eat some of the easier stuff. When you're talking about hauling water, you're talking about trimming, you're talking about transplanting, you're talking about flipping, you're talking about pots. I mean, it's there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, man, if you really want to do it. So, yeah, yeah to be I, fair, I'm, I'm all doing with it. you about making it simple, man. Yeah, bro. And like, to be fair, that's what I do for a living. I mean, I go to work. That's my job. I'm doing all that and I'm hustling and I'm doing, I mean, that's a whole different, I'm in a whole different mode. I'm a whole different person. You know, I'm working way the fuck harder. Then when I get home, it's like, I don't want to keep doing that after just doing that for eight hours. I'm going to take it easy and I'm going to make it enjoyable. I'm going to have my shoes off. <laughs> you know what I mean? You need that no-till right. shit kicking or sporting. It pretty much is, except for I don't yeah. have, I don't have the, uh, I don't do the cover crops. I do yeah. in my tent. I have two pots that I do it, but I, it just it's just such a stress on, on, on the environment to keep up with that many fucking plants with that much moisture being, you know, pushed into air all the time. It's like two's enough. If I had a whole, even that tent, if I filled that tent and all my pots like that, I would struggle to keep the humidity down. I know it, especially in sips when they can just drink as much as they want. Dude, that's hilarious that you say that. No it's, I live in the Pacific Northwest. It is pouring down rain, and I have three dehumidifiers going. A big Quest one in the corner. I have a little 50-pint one, and then I have a little, like, I don't even know what it is, 30-pint. And I go in there. All three of them are on. I'm like, okay, humidity's going to be high. It's 65% with all three of them going. So, yeah, humidity's a big deal. Uh, <laughs> if you don't know how to get that down, and if you oh, can't man. get it down, you can't move that air. Oof. I meant to yeah. mention this last week. Uh, I think Aaron, the grower, was talking about, or somebody else was talking about, uh, de- on the larger scale. And something that I learned from Cannabis Mechanical on Instagram was looking into air conditioners reheat setting, and that acts as basically a dehumidifier. So if you already have air conditioners, which Noah, I know that you do, you have some mini splits. If you pay some whatever cost to uh, AC guy, or if you know an AC guy, hopefully, because uh, with your situation, I don't know, bringing people into your room is probably not ideal for most people. But if they can set up the reheat setting for you, your air conditioner can work as a dehumidifier on top of all the dehues that you have. And that could be the extra little kick that it takes to get you down into the more drier ranges. Interesting. Honeywell, I believe, is the one that has it already programmed into the setting. You just have to buy the heating coil that goes in basically where the output is. Yeah, I would definitely talk to an HVAC professional of some sort and uh, let them know what unit you have. Just call them up and say, hey, I have this unit. Is it possible to get a reheat uh, setting or attachment for it? And maybe they'll be able to let you know because from what I understand, it's even like more efficient on the electrical. Like they're, it's, it's a very efficient dehumidifier and they're setting up a bunch of these commercial grow rooms in um, Oklahoma right now. And he's using that. I've watched follow this guy on Instagram and you see him going from one giant ass commercial facility to the next. And a bunch of people are putting it in and seem to have really, really good result. Does anybody have uh, any suggestions for dehumidification on a smaller scale, like uh, tent growers? I know uh, it can be a, a big trouble for a lot of people uh, have a hard time bringing that RH down. Um, I had a, I could, I could probably go out and, and look cause I bought two of them. There's one behind this wall, but, uh, I got them from Best Buy a while ago, man, had it been five years ago or something. They had a deal where you could, I don't know. They had a super good deal on them. They're like 300 bucks for these really big. They're made by 
a company it was called like DeLonghi or something really weird name d-e-l-o-n-g-i i think it was they've been running for five years straight and i have no complaints man they're nice just little wheeled dehues man with this they had the little side so you don't have to empty the bottoms they have the bottom catch but they have the what do they call that where you diverter or whatever where you could just kick it out the side and hook a hose to it and then i have a uh, crock that i can just put the stretch the hose right to it so i don't even have to empty my dehumidifier it just drains right into the crock that's the best way i think anybody who can i suggest they set it up that way because inevitably people are going to end up filling up that tank quicker than they expect to and they won't be there and it'll either overfill or stop working and uh, neither of those is great options for your grow so having that pipe out so you just never have to worry about it um, i think some people even reclaim that water and use it and so there's ways to get creative with that uh one tip is if you don't have like a way to like a drain or something for the hose you can still um a little hack that i've done in the past and is built a little just out of wood or whatever build a little stand to hold that dehumidifier up off the ground so you can slide a five gallon bucket next to it and you can still kick it off the side just with like a short piece of pvc or something or just use the piece the piece that comes with it that screws into the side that you can screw the hose into just don't screw a hose into it let it sit there and put your five gallon bucket underneath that and that should get you through a day probably five gallons hopefully i have that exact same setup but mine is into a trash can and uh, I had I had a trash can with wheels, uh, just a little little teeny one, like uh, like you know whatever you get from uh, Home Depot, and that the bottom of it caved out after about six months. So I had to go get the actual one that you get to your curb. I have that one, and it's heavy duty, and it's lasted for a couple of years. But yeah, every uh, two days I have to empty a trash can full of water. So yeah, I'm very, and my father-in-law built me that, that wooden stand and I have the, the hose going into it. So Hell yeah, man. yeah, I'm very familiar hey, with that. Dump that. I take, I just have the five gallon bucket and I'll take a five gallon bucket and I would dump it into the, the uh, Berkey filter, reuse that shit. Just filter it out. Really? It again. Fuck yeah. Just filter it again. <laughs> use every drop <laughs> and then use it again. Yeah, I, I'm a, I always try to repurpose stuff. So I use it outside currently for like, uh, you know, in the in the summers, I'll use it for my lawn. And so that's oh. what my lawn gets watered. I'll just water a different spot every other couple of uh, days. Yeah. Okay. But then I'll use it for also my flowers and my vegetable garden. And uh, yeah, I'll think I'm really cool. And I'll take the, the, you know, little can thing and I'll dip it in there. And then I'll walk around and water my strawberries. <laughs> and oh yeah, I repurpose <laughs> it for sure. Dude, I've been eating strawberries for a week. I, every day I go out there and get like, a handful i love it i think uh people listening can understand why floor drains are like a grower's wet dream now uh, listening oh, to get getting so rid of this good. dehumidifier water having that floor drain or, or any sort of legitimate drain in your grow space or is really nice can prevent a flood or at least help a little bit i mean shit who hasn't baptized their room <laughs> people that don't the people that hand water i'll say that people that hand water haven't baptized the room yet because they don't have to worry about i guess uh flooding The float valve is the uh, anti-baptism of the room, right? For most people, if it's functional, a functional float valve. That's the it, thing is they don't stay functional forever. That's the usual, the, the culprit. Yeah. It's usually the, the, the wanted, put them on the wanted poster. It's that fucking float valve. They need to make like a, a one step higher float valve. Because you know how everybody just buys cool. like the cheapest one? Yeah. You know, so. 
I saw somebody use a float valve like Spartan was talking about. They had a, a five-gallon bucket, and they had a float valve that figured out they needed to drain that five-gallon bucket into another five-gallon bucket. So if they got like lazy and they wanted to go on vacation, they didn't have a larger garbage can. It, it eventually went like bucket to bucket to bucket like instead it. of like three or four. So it was an interesting setup. I was like, that just seems like a little bit more worse than vacation bucket system. I like it. You got to do what you got to do. Sometimes people are going to get away from their grow for a little while. And I applaud everybody. There's a guy, Automation is Freedom. He's uh, gotten a copy of 50 Strands Green and he's a supporter of this show and many others. I just, whenever I see his name in chat, I'm like, damn, like automation is freedom. Like if you did set it up automation, you could go on more trips and spend less, less time in the garden if you wanted to, or more time in the garden doing other things than watering, like, um, you know, pruning or training the plant or transplanting and all that other good stuff. The American one, uh, do you have any clones going right now? I'm curious because I know you're normally a seed popper. Yeah, I got, well, I keep, I keep, uh, or I attempt to keep a lot of plants uh, perpetually. I got cuttings of time wreck and I'm playing, I got to take cuttings of a, of a whole bunch of them. Yeah. Time wreck's the quick rooter, right? That's the one that you kept yeah. around because it roots every time and roots real quick. That's exactly why. And, you know, so now that I think about it, I, I may not even be that good of a grower. Because I try out so many different strains, I, I might just have easy growing strains that I can't mess up. And, you know, that's good for me. I'll take it. And they're good. They're good for the head, though. But, but yeah, the ones, um, that Bruce Banner, it's really hard. I'm, I want to just kill it off now. But What about that butter cheese? Shit, you put it outside. How's that thing doing? Oh, Mutant. dude, it, it, it did not take like I thought it would. It's barely alive. It's barely alive. It was barely alive inside, so shit. I mean, no, it's so but much worse. at all, half of it died off. There's one little, one little thing, a sprig of green. I think it's going to die on its own now. It did the exact opposite of flourishing in the sun. It got eat up. It killed it. We'll see what happens. I didn't give up. I was just at it just like an hour ago, looking at it. I'm like, oh man. My new theory is it was <laughs> some sort of virus, and the sun killed it. It's like, fuck you, plant. I'm going to kill off all the pathogen inside you, and that was wow. most of the plant. And then it just. Uh, now we'll the only growing. Maybe that's it. them cleaning by the sun, and that's all that's left. It's like tissue culture by nature. We'll see if that. <laughs> so you put a plant outside and from inside, and it didn't do well, basically. Yeah, dude, it was a fucked up mutant plant. Dude, and, you got uh, a shade cloth, a plant. That hard off. No, no, no. I hardened it off. I had it in the window, getting some speckled sunlight. Okay, okay. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that sucks. This ain't yeah. first rodeo. He was an old school gorilla grower. I fucking know the story. I've heard the stories. Yeah, I know they need to be hardened off. I just preaching though. So that's why I had a whole bunch of time wreck because people are asking me for them. And to be honest, I've been procrastinating on shit. I had stuff come up. I had, I had like issues, family issues and shit. So I started up a whole bunch of those and like the, I didn't even see the roots out the bottom. I've had them in solo cups and I let, I'm like, you know, just make sure you harden these off. Like, what do you mean? Like, do not put them in the sun. Like, leave them in the shade for, like, a while. And uh, and then, I, like, I sent them a couple of, uh, you know, articles from <clears throat> regular vegetable hardening off things from, like, you know, garden supply or whatever. But, yeah, you got to harden them off or else they'll sunburn. So I put an Irish, one, an Irish person out in the sun, like, in July. If you do that, the first time exposure, it, they'll be fried like a mow. <laughs> Well, I'm going to take, we're just getting pretty close. I'm going to take this time to jump out of here, guys. Uh, I got another show and my son's been texting me. So he wants to stop by real quick. So I want to go see what he's up to. 
and uh but it was awesome hanging with you guys this was i like this show it was like we're just hanging with my buds i didn't even hardly smoke any i was so like into the conversation i was fucked up uh a shout out to chat i didn't keep track of chat i suck i'm suck sorry guys i suck but uh, i'll try to keep up it's fucking hopping so fast now i don't know how we got all, all popular all of a sudden guys but uh hope to see you guys all next week grows love good seeing you man and fuck I you see man. Man. <laughs> peace out Spartan. Peace have out, a guys. good one Oh, so how's everybody oh, yeah. doing? <laughs> Don't everybody jump all at once. I, I thought oh, I lost would... my internet for a second. Yeah, I thought somebody was muted. In any Is case, I think he might have had an issue, actually. Yeah, otherwise he'd be speaking up. Um, Anywho. Yeah, it, it, sunlight, it would. I, yeah, why would that happen? I mean, I did harden it off. I baby did that. But there. maybe, maybe it wasn't hard enough. Perhaps that's true Man. too. I got as you as some. you know, it, it, everybody, anybody who's grown for a long time, sometimes plants just do weird shit. I mean, you know, I don't yeah. know. That's yeah. totally. I mean, that's. I mean, yeah. Like to put it really simply, that's very true. Like they're living things. Sometimes you get weird. Like it was depressed. Yeah. It, it was a total mutant plant though too if you guys had seen it it was not like oh yeah you guys did see it right that's why you oh know. it was the mutant it was one that yes. plant? oh yes. that is so such a bummer dude so uh, is it gone now man. save no, it bring it, it in one it has one little st- stitch of green on it but uh, <laughs> i think it's dead then yes <laughs> half of it is dead dude like like I could, there's like there was two springs of growth and like the one side is totally dead and the other side is yeah on its last leg but right. no see that was the only way i was like i'm gonna put it outside and hopefully i was hoping it would fix everything or at least make it grow grow some because it was like in a stagnant phase and I even put it in a new container with like fresher, fresher soil. And uh, yeah, but it's not totally dead yet. You keep your fingers crossed. It's going to die though. And that, that really ices the cake. I didn't know it was that plant, dude. That's a, yeah. that's a major bug. Oh, but all right. So Aaron, you're a uh, depth. So you just started it. That, that one video clip you guys did or is that was that the beginning of the light up or you've been doing it for a while how much longer you got i just flipped those um so right. they're dude they got so big the two biggest ones got so big i had to rebuild my my greenhouse around the 200 gallon pot to fit so that the tarp wouldn't drag against the buds right um but yeah yes. it, it just got out of control <laughs> well that's a good thing man it's better yeah good thing you caught it and are protecting it yeah. Yeah. Speaking of light depth, um, I got a tip for everybody. If you're running light depth and you have power, throw up a good ventilation fan and ventilate your hoop for if, if you can't do it all night, but at least the first hour that you uh, pull the tarp over it for, for all my deppers. Hey, that'll definitely help the RH drop uh, after the tarps pulled. It, it can get a lot of mold in there if you don't have a good exhaust fan some people wait until it's pitch black like at midnight and take the tarp off for a little bit there to if they have really bad um rh problems but i think 
that one causes you to have to be up at midnight or or whenever it's well, dark enough and you and could two, just be exposing it to high humidity if you know if yeah. it's a high humid night yeah exactly and then uh the other issue is um i lost my train of thought a little bit but yeah it's just it's a bunch of additional work and the fan being there consistently you're just gonna make your life a whole lot easier so it's um Botrytis is non is a non-issue for me since I've done that. I'll just say that. What fan do you recommend? Um, you know your cheapest 450 CFM. Just do you got to you got to figure out your cubic feet. So if your hoop house is you know a shape, figure out how much volume of air you need to move, and make sure your fan can pull that amount of air in five minutes or less. That's that's my rule. I've seen some. Um not necessarily extraction fans, but they're like good for greenhouses. They're solar powered. I think it's called a snap fan and they, people put them like on their posts and things like that. And um, there's probably definitely some good options for people that are off grid light depping to look into maybe some solar powered fan options, uh, at least for the stuff that just moves the air around in the hoop house or whatever, because air movement is super effective. I found if you can keep the air moving at a pretty strong rate, it cuts down most of your pest issues, not just, uh, mold, but also a lot of the climbing, flying, uh, crawling types, they just don't like be having a ton of wind around and it makes life a little bit more difficult for them. But some of them travel on wind, so they don't seem to mind it. And uh, IPM is always really pivotal. Uh, Matthew, are there any pests out there that are not deterred by wind that uh, people should look out for? You know, um... I mean, obviously the, the crawlers are going to be a little bit less affected, right? Um, uh, a lot, a lot of insects, like you were talking, are, are a lot of pest insects are not very great flyers. Um, but what I mean by that is that they're, they're not very strong um, flyers. They either fly very low to the ground in a short burst, kind of like how like, like fungus nests is an example. Um, they walk along the ground a lot. They, they prefer to walk to some degree. Um, but, uh, you know, if they were caught in like a gust of wind, that would be like, even one that was like a breeze for us can be like a little bit harrowing for them, or at least like it'll make them use more energy in general. Um, how much that of a functional effect that has in the greenhouse, I think it would, it would, you'd probably need a lot more wind probably going around at the time. Um, but things like wasps and other sorts of, and even moths are going to be a little bit better at um, traversing the wind and probably aren't going to be such a big deal. And those are the ones that are very destructive, or at least the moths are. I've uh, heard good things about the Dyna traps that are for catching like flying moths and uh, different flying pests can be good for greenhouses. Sungrown 707 has used that up in uh, the 707 with good success i know there's a lot of different pest pressure up there than maybe down here in san diego but um he has mentioned that it helped deal with a lot of his flying pests so that is uh one way to prevent them i know there's probably other brands I, i'm not sponsored or affiliated by them but it's uh something my buddy has tried and had success with so figured i'd share it with the community out there matthew i remember a while ago you mentioned um the atmosphere is sort of like an ocean um that the pests can move through and i, I can't remember was it like maybe an aphid or something that like it wasn't flying, but it was sort of floating on the air. Yeah. So like, yeah, air and water are fluid media. And so they have a little bit of a similar physics going on. Um, like a gas and a liquid and a solid are kind of like three states that have 
um, similarities in some capacity. Um, so aphids, for example, are one, are one of those uh, insect groups that aren't really great flyers. A lot of beetles are also kind of unwieldy flower, uh, flyers. They got that, all that armor on them, uh, usually. But um, aphids, so like there's two different terms. One term is, um, is uh, aer aerobiota, and the other term is uh, aeroplankton. And so, aero, so technically, the difference is that aeroplankton, like marine plankton, don't control their own movement in the fluid medium. And uh, aeroplankton, or I'm sorry, uh, 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 aerobiota, do to some degree and so like something that has wings typically is going to do a lot better than like a bacterium on like a fleck of dirt right uh that being said even the aphids aren't going to be very good at it they'll get up into the like really high in the atmosphere even and coast along on those currents and in that way they might glide sort of and um I, I couldn't give you like the play-by-play -play about what's going through an insect's or particularly an aphid's brain when it's like, you know, flying that far out um, and like how it like recognizes uh, hosts and, and to what degree of precision that happens. But it's definitely, a, there are visual components. There are um, chemical components, like the senses of like chemicals, like what we call like maybe like smelling essentially. Um, and like they can see different spectra than us too. Like UV radiation can be attractive, but too much of it can be disorienting, for example. Um, and then when they get out of that air current, they're not gonna be like moving very um, deftly. Thank you very much for clarifying that. I think it's uh, interesting to see. I always, um, I was sort of laughing a little bit in my head when you were describing how like the beetle, because it's so armored, doesn't necessarily fly well. And even some of the other like lower flying pests like if you think of in comparison to like early human flight like a lot of our stuff didn't necessarily even like make it off the ground or flew for very short distances or low heights and things like that and some of the things that we see in nature i think like often some of these early um, aerial pilots were probably mimicking some of the things they saw in nature like birds and other things like that and uh, trying to recreate them to have human flight there's a lot to that um in fact like uh, well, I really like the F-22 Raptor. I'm just going to put that out there. It's made, it's made aerodynamically unstable on purpose so that it can be super maneuverable in the air. And of course, we don't got bugs that are <laughs> moving around with like, uh, you know, uh, jet engines and that sort of a thing. But um, that kind of physics, uh, the stuff related to that is very fascinating to me too. I'm also a big ballistics nerd. I'm also more of a ballistics nerd than I realized. The YouTube account I was thinking of was called Tau Fleddermouse or something like that. And they shoot a bunch of different shotguns. Tau Fleddermouse, yeah. That awesome. means the, the bat is a Fleddermouse. Okay, the Fleddermouse. Flutter, right. He shoots a bunch of different shotgun slugs and uh, shows the basically slow motion camera of it hitting different targets. And it's really fascinating for sure. But um, this was grow related for a second. Then I kind of lost <laughs> my train of thought there. Well, I mean, I'll just say this, uh, you know, we, you know, having those cool interests can lead to like really interesting appreciations and understanding of nature. It's the same physics that's like enacting on like plants and, and even insects, uh, the physics of their flight. And you know how I love to say this and I'll say it again. They are the first ones to um, develop powered flight by the, their own powered flight anyways, instead of gliding and that sort of a thing. 
And I think there's a lot uh, to be said of how that allowed them to get to be so diverse and, um, you know, the food that they were generally always looking for in most of the case is plant material. So um, they were always chasing that plant, even out of the ocean, I guess, but they didn't have wings then. I guess my thought was um, going back to the pH conversation way, way earlier when you're talking about the plane that was made intentionally off balance to be more uh, maneuverable. There is stuff that we do in horticulture that doesn't necessarily take place in agriculture or in nature because we have the resources to apply something that we might believe to have benefit. Whether it does or not, there is is science that um, will argue both sides and there are going to be product pitches from companies that put a lot of money into these sciences. But I do think sometimes there's really compelling, interesting and unique things that are on the bleeding edge that might have potential. And then a lot of them are just snake oil. So it's fun to be in a time where we're sort of, in my opinion, at the tip of the iceberg still, there's still so much unknown and uh, it's fascinating to see it all sort of evolving and unfolding before our eyes. With that said, it's about 5.55 out here on the West Coast. So I'm gonna pass it off to my panel and let them give their final thoughts and shout outs. So first, Noah the Groa. Yeah, I had a great show today. Uh, I Sometimes I'll just kind of space off. Man, I was really just listening to everything. Uh, it was cool having Aaron. Uh, I, I'm trying to do this whole organic thing. So all these organic OGs, is, it's really cool to kind of pick their brains and stuff. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm Noah the Groa uh, on Instagram. If you got any quests for me or want to see what I got going on, come check it out there and uh, see you next week. Thanks you so much, Noah, for joining us. And uh, always a pleasure to have you. Next up, Aaron the Grower. Yeah, thanks for the shout out, Noah. And it was really good being here. Really fun being here. Um, had a good time. And I trimmed like probably two ounces while we did it. So <laughs> shout out to trimming, doing two things at once. Um, I am Aaron the Grower, ATG Acres on Instagram, YouTube, and atgacres.com. If you're into my weird ass shit, check me out. Hell yeah, man. Uh, I think they call that feeding two birds with one seed instead of two kill- killing two birds with one stone. Taking it to the positive a little bit there. Uh, getting so two PC. things done at once. Yeah, you know, vegan friendly. This is a vegan friendly show. Uh, but with that said, our IPM specialists, uh, speaking of bugs and animals in general, Matthew Gates. Yeah, I'll echo what Spartan said earlier. Um, shout out to chat specifically, um, you know, Stony Rockefeller, Chad Westport uh katie you know i see you guys come on every time we're here and it's really endearing to sort of develop this community um this this feeling of collaboration and indeed this actual functional collaboration um i always appreciate the uh the quickness that we can do that with and if you're um if you're going to support me even more and if i can support you anymore please let me know uh you can find me on zenthanol the youtube channel you can also find me on Instagram at Sync Angel, but I know you all know that on, in chat. And um, I would just ask that if you guys want to support us more, um, as, as cliche as it is, hit the like button, comment, you know, give us really cool comments. I love it when people come after the video and comment and, uh, you know, they have some intriguing questions or they've, or we can, we, I know Jack does come back and, um, and explain some things certainly. And other people on the panel do too. And so uh, it's become a repertoire for some uh, good information. And I'm proud of that. 
I definitely want to echo that sentiment because uh, I do try to reply to the comments that are like asking questions or uh, providing us feedback, maybe stuff that they want to see. One case, the person was talking about what they thought the genetic lineage of root beer was. And then I went and found the root beer on me and Gene's page and I wrote out the full like section of it. And then we ended up talking about it the next week on the show. So I totally agree that that comment section is a little gold mine for us. Uh, it's great communication. Uh, Stony like Baloney's here, uh, GR420 community videos, Crispy Wannabe, uh, Supreme Grape. It's like I can't find a name that I haven't seen weekly. Fried Piper, uh, Chad Westport. Like if I scroll up, it's like I know every single one of these names. And eventually we're going to be meeting these people in person. Uh, I really do plan to do a Cheap Home Grow meetup in person someday. So I'm putting that out there to the community. Um, I think Las Vegas would be the easiest place to make it happen because it has cannabis uh, friendly nature and it's really cheap to travel to. But this wouldn't be a one and done thing. This is something like we've been doing the show for years. I hope to do it at maybe Vegas, then San Diego, LA, whatever. We'll go around and meet up with the community because it's honestly, everybody I've met so far has been so awesome. And I think it's going to continue in that way. And uh, we've been growing slowly but surely. Lots of cool people, like Matthew said, uh, remind you all to give that thumbs up and uh, just keep coming back. We really enjoy you. And uh, I think the last person I haven't gotten to is uh, Tao, the American one. Jack, again, thanks for hosting. Shout out to Shane. Uh, shout out to Chad. I'm, I'm always in and out of chat, so sorry if I missed anybody, but it's always good checking in and uh, seeing everybody there. And uh, yeah, to be honest, I'm going to have to go back and check out some of the comments because I uh, I really been lacking and I'm not checking out the old episodes. So I'll, I'll go back and take a look. And with that, peace out, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you so much for joining us, the American one. It's definitely... Uh... There's some some gems in there. Like I said, I re-listen to the episodes at least uh, once throughout the week just to refresh myself. I learned something like that's going to change in my garden this week. Spartan and I were talking about the pumice or stuff underneath to make a sip and veg. And it's something that I'll actually implement. So like each week I try to learn and grow a little bit with the show. And I think a lot of the people that listen and, and join this panel are in a similar uh, feeling. So I'm just appreciative of everybody else who shows up and, and listens and interacts in the chat. Thank you all for coming and providing us with lots of questions and, and feedback and uh, support. My name is at Jack Greenstock on Cannabuzz, as well as Instagram, Jack underscore Greenstock on Twitter. And I have 50strains.com. If you want a copy of 50 Strains of Green, you can kind of see it right here. That's uh, my first published book. That's the second edition. I've still got some paperback copies available. So if you'd like one, definitely hit me up or you can just go right on the website and uh, order yourself a copy. And thank you all so much. See you next week. Grows love from uh, Dr. MJ since he was not with us this week and shout out to Spartan Grown who I was gone earlier when he left uh, big shout out to at Spartan Grown uh, and Spartan Grown at gmail.com thank you all so much catch y'all next week Greenstock signing out peace <laughs>